away. We we had uh, Sandra was calling in yesterday doing riddles. Okay, I know. Yeah, I used to work with Ricky Gervais. Anyway, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And we got complaints after the show. We didn't give the answer to her riddle. The answer is it makes a splash. That's all I'm going to say. If you weren't paying attention yesterday, that's tough. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. What a miserable morning it is, weather-wise, and for some of you, sports-wise as well. Disappointing day for some of you. Yesterday, we'll be speaking to Watford fans this morning, and also an impartial Justin Dealey to find out how he's dealing, dealing with the heartbreak of uh, a football team not perhaps living up to their expectations. If you want to have your say on yesterday's football, you can. I mean, I won't know what you're talking about, but I'll do my best to empathise with you. 75% of people living along the route of HS2, the high-speed railway, who apply for compensation, face being rejected. Are you one of them? And those now music compilations are 30 years old. What are your memories, girls? It's a girl thing. I don't think boys are really into those compilations, were they? I didn't need... I didn't need a, 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 another Jason Donovan track. No, I had I had a, a Jason Donovan 12-inch already. Do you see? Do you see? That's the level we're dealing with. Petty innuendo at four minutes past six on a Tuesday, the day after a bank holiday. Oh, for goodness sakes. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Put your name on it as well, otherwise it doesn't get read out. Not on my watch. And you can give me a call. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Ah, well, we were hyping it up, we were hyping it up, and then, like a big balloon that's been trodden on by a three-year-old child at a party, it burst, and everybody around it cried. I was freestyling now, I should stick to the script next time. Watford lost yesterday 1-0 to Crystal Palace in the playoff final at Wembley. Palace were awarded a penalty in extra time. Ex-Watford player Kevin Phillips took it and scored with 15 minutes to go. Well, the Horns were unable to equalise in the remaining time, sending Crystal Palace back up the Premier League for the first time in eight years. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, was following the game. First of all, Justin, uh, commiserations. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate that. I know you are a Luton supporter, but you will be uh, feeling a lot of empathy for the Watford fans listening to this show this morning, won't you? There was a lot of banter um, flying around last night, which was um, rather amusing. But in saying that, you know, Watford fans are clearly very, very upset because their team, and on paper, they've got a fantastic squad. They've done so well this season. They've scored more goals than anybody else. They were the favourites going into this game. And for whatever reason, those players simply didn't turn up for the big occasion. They didn't turn up? Well, no wonder they lost. They didn't turn up. (laughs) No wonder Crystal Palace beat them. They didn't perform on the big day. I don't know why that was and of course um, Zola the manager will be looking into that and trying to work that out but they just didn't turn up the fans that I spoke to last night arriving back in Hertfordshire were very disappointed this is what they had to say disappointed disappointed very disappointed that's a poor game for Watford to be quite honest with you pretty cheesed off because we never even turned up today how's that I just thought Palace turned up done the job and they were a good side they were the better team Mm. and they done the job but unlucky to Watford 
they say had a go, but Palace deserved to win. So, well, I was a bit, I'm a bit gutted. I thought I thought we would score. I thought we'd score. But the longer it went on, yeah. I, the more I felt Phillips would get get his nose in there. Cheats. Cheats. Watford are cheats. Who says that? Well, this is some of the feedback I've been getting um, from various people. In quick, let me read you a comment on uh, uh, Twitter. Ha ha ha! Without cheating, is cheating not the reason you are where you are? Non-league club. I think the argument is that because Watford were borrowing so many uh, uh, high-class Italian players, mm. uh, that, that some consider that to be cheating. Justin, what's, what's your completely impartial, non-biased view about well, that? You speak to most football fans, and they think it's wrong. You know, I think anybody will will go along with that because I think yesterday in their what starting eleven, I think they had seven loan players. But but then again, the owners of the club they own different football clubs. Can't so, do it next season, can they? Well, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because the rules are going to be changing quite how that will affect Watford. They're probably to sign the players full time so that they won't effectively become loan players. But but a lot of people do feel a bit upset about that. I think some of the comments as well go back to to previous owners and, and whether Watford should have had points deductions for for what was going on, but. Looking at the squad, they had the squad yesterday, but those players didn't perform on the day. Watford did the hard work getting to the playoff final, and they should have done a lot better, to be fair. One question, Justin. Why were you laughing so much when you came in this morning? What was that about? Well, I just thought to myself, it's um, good to be back in Luton this morning. I've oh. um, had a long weekend away, and um, yeah, good to be back in Luton. So, no- uh, nothing. just to confirm, nothing to do with Watford um, um, not getting promoted yesterday? No, not at all. Justin Dealey, thank you very much indeed. I appreciate your impartiality this morning. Well, if you were at the game yesterday, we'd love to hear from you. 08459 455 555. One person who made it to the game just was our reporter, Sophie Solaria. I say just, she forgot her ticket. I know, she forgot her... T- her husband dropped her off at the couple's house, or the, the family's house. She spent the day with the Watford family. We'll hear it in a second. And her husband said, oh, by the way, Sophie, you got your, uh, got your ticket? Oh, I think it's in the other bag, Johnny. So her poor Johnny, her husband, had to drive back home, get her other bag, and then drive it back. Oh, they've only been married a few weeks. It won't last. Anyway, she did get to the match, and she spent the day with uh, a family of Watford fans and followed them all the way to Wembley. And that was Sophie's mind unwinding at the end of it. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. If you went to the game yesterday... Oh dear, do give us a call. Whatever side you're on, maybe you want to phone up and cry, or you're excited because your team won. It's Plan B. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh. Plan B and Professor Green, uh, who, no, he's not a character in Cluedo, he's a pop singer. He's a pop singer, Professor Green. I don't know what he's done. He's one of those gentlemen that um, uh, has two haircuts. It's kind of long on the top and then shaved at the sides. I don't know anybody who'd have a ridiculous haircut like that. Um, and uh, isn't he married to someone, Professor Green? His wife, probably. I'm trying to think who she is. She, anyway, I don't know why I'm going off on a tangent trying to sound hip and cool. Let's be honest, there are no 16-year-olds listening to this show. Now, 75% of people uh, living along the route of uh, HS2, the high-speed railway, who apply for compensation face being rejected. That's become clear from figures for those who've been successful so far along the route, which cuts through the Chilterns in Buckinghamshire. Well, in a moment, we'll hear from a Buckinghamshire man who says his family feel isolated and trapped, unable to sell their house or get compensation. But first, let's hear what the Rail Minister, Simon Burns, had to say on this programme recently when asked why so many claims are unsuccessful. What we have brought in is an exceptional hardship scheme to help people who need to sell their houses now because of of either a family tragedy, a breakdown of marriage, or they're having to move because their jobs have 
take them elsewhere and it is there to give help to people then and what I would say to anyone who is caught in this situation they should get in touch with High Speed 2 That was uh, Simon Burns on the show recently I don't think he'll be coming back He didn't enjoy it Well Adam called up to explain his circumstances He uses a wheelchair and is now in the process of speaking to HS2 after his case was picked up on BBC's Newsnight I live just outside Great Missenden and my house and my neighbour's house is 124 metres from the centre of the line and my neighbour, who uh, lost their job, they've applied three times and have been turned down three times. Because I'm a wheelchair user and disabled, I can't even afford to apply because even if I got onto that scheme, I would be so far out of pocket because of my disability that I couldn't afford to move. Well, Tom Crane is a director of the HS2 Action Alliance, and he says ministers like Simon Burns, well, they're just not listening. Government ministers can't face, when they deal with HS2, speaking to real people about real problems. It's incredible to me that, essentially, he seems to say, if you get on Newsnight, um, you'll get fair compensation, but everybody else, you're on your own. Well, on the line now is Chris Reynolds, who lives near the route of HS2 in Buckinghamshire and works in High Wycombe. Good morning, Chris. Hello, Ian. You, you nearly managed to sell your house. Tell me your story, Chris. Yeah, we um, uh, we had our house on the market um, not very long at all, to be honest, and we got somebody local uh, who knew about HS2, um, thought it um, yeah, was quite willing to buy a house if you want to stay in the area. Um, we were go- it was all going through, um, and then not far from the end, um, her solicitor and lots of her friends were suggesting that she didn't buy the house um, because uh, she might have trouble selling it um, when it's in five years' time, if and when this line gets constructed. Um, since then, we you know, we tried to sell it. Lots of people came from different areas. People coming out from London. We had sort of more local people. Everyone was saying love the house but uh not with hs2 um so from there we was on the market for six months almost a year um after that and then we decided to um apply for the exceptional hardship scheme so this is the compensation how how do you go about applying for that um there's quite a, a lengthy form you have to fill in um and supply um quite a bit of evidence um there's three or four main points that you need to um, uh, you need to prove why you need to move. Um, uh, you, you've got to prove that you've tried to sell your house and you can't because of HS2. Um, and you've got to prove your distance from the um, distance from the line. And how, what is your distance from the line? We're about 300 yards from okay. the... Well, at, we'll say distance from the line, that's when it's, um, that's when it's underground. Right. But they're digging... Uh, it, it goes in a green tunnel. So basically, basically, for those who don't know what green tunnel is, basically they dig the cutting, build the tunnel, and then fill the um, <coughs> uh, fill it back in. Oh, it sounds um, like fun. So yeah, so we could have yeah, we could have several years worth of rather major engineering works. Were you successful with your claim for compensation? Uh, no. Oh. We thought we were going to be um, quite successful. Yeah. Um, we thought we'd sort of tick most of the boxes. Um, they came back to us. Um, said we're not close enough to the entrance of the tunnel, which is the other um, other edge of the village. Um, so we thought, um, well, which is not much we can do about our position. We, it, yeah, we can't really um, we can't really change that. Um, the other thing is they 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 did say, oh, we can see you've got a pressing need to move, but not an urgent need to move. 
Oh, what's, so, what's the difference? Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, there doesn't seem to be sort of consistency. I mean, who says, who decides what's, you know, what's fair and, uh, sorry, what's, um, what's pressing and what's urgent? Some people <laughs> living near you have uh, um, got compensation. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, there, there, I know there are other, um, other uh, houses in, in the village that are further away from the line and further away from the entrance to the tunnel that have been purchased. And how does that make you feel? Well, as I say, you know, it just doesn't seem to be any consistency or fairness within the scheme. Um, you know, we're, you know, it, it seems that you've got different people looking at different um, uh, different applications. There's not one rule being applied across the uh, across the board. What do you do now, Chris? Um, well, we sort of, you know, we are trapped really, um, uh, unless we. The only other option for us is to rent the house out, but that means us having to have two rather large mortgages and we need to get the equity out of this house to, yeah. to be able to move on. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons for um, one, you know, one of our urgent needs, we had a couple, was, um, was the fact that expanding family. Their family has now expanded. Um, so we're, um, yeah, so we're just trying to save like mad to try and get up enough, uh, enough money to, um, to get us in that, yeah, uh, a deposit for, um, to, to, you know, to try and move move away from somewhere that's not blighted by something that's not, um, yeah, that we've got no control of. Chris, I appreciate you coming on this morning. What a mess. Chris Reynolds there, lives near the route of HS2. Didn't get compensation. Is it affecting you? Me no speak English. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Now, that's what I call music. Yes. Is, well, is it? The, the Now compilations mm-hmm. are celebrating 30 years of uh, putting a load of old pap on two cassettes <laughs> and selling it to idiots. Mm. I'm not a big fan. It, now, so like Now 62, is that the same as Now That's What I Call Music? Are they the same things? They, yeah. Okay. They don't have the pig on them anymore, though, do they? The pig with the shades. Oh, I remember the pig with the shades. He was <laughs> up there with uh, the Jive Bunny, as far it as was. I was concerned, for musical excellence. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, I, th- I think it's mainly kind of a girl's thing, because I would like to buy the album by the artist, or sometimes yeah. I would come out of a, a, a shop clutching a, a 12-inch. Um, but if you never had a disappointing 12-inch, you know, you buy the whole thing and you think, oh, why did I bother? Yeah, this was the day before downloads, and sometimes you just want a little taster. Was this the day I before downloads? I had Mel downloads? and Kim. Did you? You know, I had the whole album. I should have just stuck with Now. Uh, what, d- what was your... Did you, did you, were you into the Nows? You were like a child of the late 70s, weren't you? <laughs> I used to get them for my birthday. Oh. To go with my stereo. Uh, why would anyone want to listen to something like Limal? <laughs> Limal had his um, fans. Justin Dealey, I think, is kind of like the Limal of BBC Three Counties Radio. He's got rubbish hair, <laughs> he's orange, and he's a bit camp. Well, Limal and Pat Sharp rolled into one. <laughs> If they could have reproduced, I don't know, by budding or something like that, then they, they would have had Justin. Wait, them and the twins. <laughs> Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. What's a, the, the thing I noticed there is that uh, Catherine Boyle's got a very, very filthy laugh, hasn't she? she it's nasal. It's a nasally laugh. Uh, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. In the next 30 minutes, we will be talking about those now uh, compilations. Well, you're a fan of them. It is mainly girls, isn't it, that bought those things. I think guys bought proper albums, and girls got the now compilations. 08459 455 555, and we'll be hearing about what happened yesterday uh, in terms of the uh, EDL protest that took place in London. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is Ian Lee. On BBC Three Counties Radio.
Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. 459 555 Supporters of the English Defence League marched through central London yesterday afternoon. We'll hear it with uh, an update. This is our political reporter, Paul Scoins. Paul, what happened? Yeah, see, and around a thousand demonstrators pushed their way through uh, police cordons as they made their way to Trafalgar Square yesterday. They uh, were chanting, Muslim killer off our streets. Uh, there's only one Lee Rigby in tribute to the uh, soldier who was killed in Woolwich last week. Um, the protesters held placards. They, they, the placards I saw said, blood on your hands, GBRIP. And they then marched through to uh, Admiral, Admiralty Arch and onto Parliament Square. The idea was to to um, move towards Downing Street. Uh, at the same time, though, there was a smaller group of uh, uh, anti-fascist demonstrators gathered opposite them, holding uh, EDL racists banners, and uh, both sides then traded insults, but were kept apart by officers and, uh, and barriers which had been set up. I would imagine with these two uh, separate groups that there was a big police presence. Yes, they were ex- escorted by a large... Uh, Metropolitan Police presence with officers, vans, uh, a force helicopter also followed overhead. A Scotland Yard spokesman said Whitehall was close to traffic because of a number of demonstrations. Uh, the protesters made their way, as I say, along Whitehall before taking a position on the pavement across the road from Downing Street. They were protesting, weren't they, about last week's uh, tragic events where a soldier reportedly wearing a Help for Heroes charity T-shirt was killed. And the charity have been speaking about the EDL, haven't they? Yes, that's right. They, they've refused to accept donations from the group. Um, Tommy Robinson, who's the, the Luton-based leader of the EDL, started fundraising after uh, the murder of uh, soldier Lee Rigby last week. And... Um, a Help for Heroes spokesman said that that fundraising page which had been set up by Tommy Robinson would be closed and no EDL donations would be accepted and they said that because they don't accept donations from any political party uh, and though the EDL have said that they're not a political party they're just a, a group of like-minded people um, the charity does consider them to be a political party and therefore won't accept any donations from them What's been the political reaction? Well speaking uh, after a protest on the day of the killing by the EDL, uh, which spilled over into protesters throwing bottles at police. The former Home Secretary, David Blunkett, said that social media and rolling 24-hour news repeatedly showing these uh, gruesome images that we've seen uh, made it much more difficult to calm feelings and actually to ensure that rational debate took place and also to prevent attitudes from hardening in the in the wake of the killing and, and also you know, he then said to prevent the kind of reaction we'd seen from the English Defence League. He said that the political climate was much worse than in 2005 they said they're living in a uh, in a climate of very nasty and angry politics on issues like immigration welfare at the moment and and he said it's building he said that they need to be careful as politicians to make sure it doesn't tip over into something more dangerous and back in in march in uh, the 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 home office minister james brokenshire on this program said that uh, uh, far-right extremism uh, is a worrying phenomenon which poses a, a real threat to uk's security said that one in ten cases referred to a government radicalisation reduction scheme now concerned the far right and he condemned groups like the EDL for what he said were inflaming tensions with ethnic minorities. The EDL Facebook, I'm just trying to see the update because they, um, a couple, uh, before the murder in Woolwich, I think they had something like 20, like I can see it now, they had 20,000 uh, likers uh, on Facebook. They've now got 
nearly well over 130,000 mm. likers so it's it's uh, uh, people are attracted to to what they are saying it's it's and that's gone up 5,000 since yesterday right. so i mean it, it absolutely that they are growing in popularity um and their twitter uh, uh social network presence is growing as well i mean there is you know for some people it chimes with what they want to to hear it's it's a it's a strong message from uh from a group which which does absolutely you know polarize opinion and um uh, we will you know consider to look at them in the future we should mention as well that uh yesterday uh, s- several war memorials in london were vandalized i don't know if you've seen these pictures in some of the newspapers with the word islam so uh, and we don't know who's done that yet which organization ha- has done that but there is obviously strong feeling on both sides and um Everyone just needs to calm down a little bit because this this could get much worse. I think that's what uh, what the former Home Secretary was saying. Really, is that with this sort of climate of, of uh, extreme feelings, uh, there are always going to be these sorts of instances, and and it doesn't help. Uh, you know, they say with the with the sort of general climate of these sorts of protests to to ensure that rational debate takes place. Paul Scoynes, thank you very much indeed. 08459 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Or you can send me a text. If you send me a text, do put your name on it, please. Otherwise, I won't read it out. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <clears throat> I'm reading uh, some of the comments posted on the English Defence League Facebook page. And, and there are people who are going on there to argue with them, and uh, which is interesting. But here's one at random. Debbie Rothwell. Uh, uh, dear me. Rather control them or all get out. She's talking about Muslims, of course. You're right. They Muslims work in all kinds of jobs, but I'm sure we could happily find someone to replace them. Don't act the innocent. It's like playing Muslim roulette, finding the good from the bad. You're normal one day, the next killing and raping children. Enough is enough. Well, that's a fun Facebook page to be joining, isn't it? Wowzers. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now, police say the key to finding out who killed a 20-year-old man in Luton lies within the community. They're appealing for help in tracing three people in relation to the stabbing which happened in Thrales Close late on Sunday night. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been to Marsh Farm. Is that correct, Justin? Absolutely, Ian, yes. Well, you're, you're not there now. Whereabouts are you? Um, just around the corner from Marsh right. Farm. I mean, officers were, were called to a property in Thrales Close in Marsh Farm at around 8.15 on Sunday evening after they received reports that somebody had been stabbed. Uh, the firearms units attended the property where the victim was found with serious injuries. He was rushed to the L&D hospital but was pronounced dead shortly afterwards. So, as you mentioned there, the police are now appealing for witnesses says local people have the key to solving this crime. This is DCI Steve Collin. He's from the Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire Major Crimes Unit. So I'm looking for a group of three people uh, that were caught on CCTV in the Thrales Close Pearly Centre area of Marsh Farm on Sunday. They are a black male on a bike, a black male with a dog on a lead and significantly a younger girl probably a teenager, white female teenager, with long dyed hair, which is in a ponytail. And what have people told you this morning, Justin? I mean, the timing of this, obviously, is, is tragic, but the timing as well, on Sunday, uh, we were talking on Friday, and weren't we, about the carnival, mm. and a lot of people were saying to me, they weren't going to be going to the carnival because they didn't feel safe. Um, so many stabbings and, and so many shootings in Luton this year. But Figures down significantly on the carnival. I, yeah. I, I believe they're expecting 50,000. I've heard it was uh, something like 5,000. We'll, we'll certainly investigate that this week. 
But this wasn't connected to the carnival, was it? it? it that went relatively smoothly. It wasn't connected at all. I mean, you, you talk to anybody who was there on Sunday for the carnival, everyone was on a real high. It was a, a fabulous day. The weather was fantastic. It was colourful. It was noisy. It was everything that you'd expect from a carnival. And then later that evening at 8.15, we hear about another fatal stabbing. So clearly people very upset. So I've been talking to people in Marsh Farm this morning, and this is what they had to say. Well, my thoughts is it's just going to carry on. My reaction is that it's another young life. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, when you were fairly near to, to where this stabbing happened over mm. the weekend, do you think people are seriously going to come forward with information because that's what the police want? Mm. Do you think people will do that or will they be too scared? People were scared to come to the police because that's just how it's always been. People people don't want to be called a grass or a snitch, so people ain't going to come forward. Like, And do you think the stabbings and the shootings will continue? Yeah. There's Is there any, any hope for Marsh Farm? Then? It's not even just Marsh Farm. Like, there's a couple of places in Luton that everyone will come together. It's just gangs in there. They just want to stab each other. You're a young lad. Are, are you keen to, to leave this area for, a, essentially, a better life? Yeah. See, I was looking at this place in New Zealand. I'm a construct- I work on construction sites, so New Zealand is my option out of Luton. So what's your reaction to what's happened over the weekend at Marsh Farm? Uh, I think it's bad, and I think uh, the government or the others should sit down with the people at Marsh Farm and have a conversation with them to find out what actually is happening there. Yeah. Do you think the Marsh Farm can recover? It can recover if they all become one unity. And a final word for yourself, madam. Can we have your reaction to, to what's happened at Marsh Farm over the weekend? Um, just a complete shock, really, but then at the same time as well, so many little things have been happening. We've been hearing that it's a, a group of small little gangs and we don't know exactly where they're coming from because, you know, sometimes I find Luton to be quite quiet. So when I hear about these on the news, it kind of shocks me because, you know, I could go through the town and there's absolutely nothing. So th- this whole thing has been quite a shock. And they're all so young. That's the big problem. But I don't think there's enough for them to do around here. You know, I I can't remember the last time I did something as a youth in Luton. And um, so I spend most of my time in London. But there's nothing to do in the area. I don't think there's any opportunities for the young kids. Um, So I think it's a bit of a shame. They need something to do and there is nothing in this town. And I don't think any of the officials are doing anything about it either. So I feel like they feel like they've been abandoned. And they're just grouping up in these little gangs and it's getting really silly and really dangerous. The thing is, Justin, what do these uh, uh, kids want to do? I remember in the 70s and the 80s, it was always people saying, oh, we need we need more youth centres. We need mm. more mm. youth centres. But young people don't want to go. The kind of people that go to youth centres are the kind of people that are happy to play ping-pong and, and, and whatever. They're, they're not the people that are going around stabbing each other. But at least you've got to give these kids the option, surely. I mean, if you talk to, to any youngster in Luton, and, and again, recently I've spoken to many of them, and they said to me, I've had the chance to, to go and join these gangs, and if I was going to be in these gangs, I would be given a knife, I would be given a gun, and I would be told how to use that. Now, they haven't chosen that option because they, they want to go on and have a successful life, but if you have got a, a youngster who's growing up within that environment and they take that route unfortunately there's not a lot you can do about it you've got to give these kids something to do everyone that I says in Luton there is nothing for them to do but I think the bigger question for the police is are people going to come forward uh, we've recently spoken about a reward of £1,000 now we're talking about a very very small fee there uh, of £1,000 in relation to gun crime but but with this they are hoping that people will come forward well, and you've heard there from the young lad people, people don't want to do snitch no, no of course not 
They're not so, going to stitch because they don't want to be seen as a grass, and also they're worried that the, the, their mums or their kids are going to get a stab in as well. It's all very well the police saying, you know, the local community, they have the power to solve these crimes, but people are going to feel that, that by doing that, it's not safe. It's a mess, isn't it? Mm, it is, and something's got to happen, and quickly, because this situation cannot carry on for the people of Luton. Justin Daly, thank you very much indeed. Uh, 08459 455555. If you want to have your say uh, on that, and, and yeah, we'll, we're going to look into the uh, Luton Carnival figures this week, I think, because um, they were expecting 50,000. I've heard it was as low as 5,000. I don't know if that's accurate, and I'm, I'm just putting that out there. I heard that from uh, a BBC Look East reporter. Uh, if you were there, keen to get your stories. Also, if you were at the Watford Crystal Palace game yesterday. Oh dear. Oh dear. We had such high hopes, didn't we? Luke Ashmead, one of the sports gentlemen, I think that's the correct term, was in the studio yesterday going, oh yeah, be easy, be fine, piece of cake. They'll win on paper. We spoke to um, John Mooney yesterday. He's coming on in about five, ten minutes, uh, who, who does the, uh, the Watford podcast. Oh, I'll be fine. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Oh dear. How gutted must you feel? And let's be honest, if you're a Crystal Palace fan and you want to gloat, you're more than welcome. Thank you, Catherine. Three minutes past seven. It's Tuesday. It's miserable out there. It really is. So I, I couldn't believe it. I, I stepped out of my house and it was raining. Well, that was summer. I hope you enjoyed it. Welcome to autumn. Maybe we'll skip autumn and go straight to winter. Lots coming up in the next hour of the show, including disappointing day yesterday for some people. We'll be speaking to uh, a Watford fan to find out how he's feeling after yesterday's crushing defeat. By the way, if you're a Crystal Palace fan and you want to call in and gloat, I mean, you're allowed to. 75% of people living along the route of HS2, the high-speed railway, who apply for compensation face being rejected. Are you one of them? Those now compa- uh, music compilations are 30 years old. What are your memories of them? Did you ever buy them? Can we find a bloke that bought them? I, I think it's primarily a girls' thing, wasn't it? Men wanted the 12 inches and the albums, and girls who just liked Limal or the Backstreet Boys or Jason Donovan would, would buy the now compilations, wouldn't they? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send in a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it was billed as the richest game in football. It ended in disappointment for Watford. Watford lost 1-0 to Crystal Palace in the playoff final at Wembley yesterday afternoon. Palace were awarded a penalty in extra time. Ex-Watford player Kevin Phillips took it and scored with 15 minutes to go. The Horns were unable to equalise in the remaining time, sending Crystal Palace back up to the Premier League for the first time in eight years. Joined by two people now, we've got uh, Mayor of Watford, Dorothy Thornhill. Good morning, Dorothy. Good morning. And also joining me is John Moody, who is... uh, John Mooney, sorry, one of the presenters of the Watford Supporters podcast from the Rookery End. John, we'll start with you. We spoke to you yesterday. Yeah. You were nervous. You were full of optimism. You thought you could do this. I did, and I think I said to you, Ian, that if the Watford team, who we knew we had seen this year that was brilliant, could play passing football, if they if they played their game, we would easily win that game, but they didn't turn up. 
and it just wasn't what we expected. And really, you know, Crystal Palace deserves deserves to win it uh, across the the 120 minutes. Um, yeah, it took a penalty to, to sort of beat us, I suppose. It Pen- like penalty by an old man as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's a very good footballer. Right. Um, um, and it's all like, you know, we, we, we picked him out of obscurity in the, in the mid-90s. Um, but it was it was just, they just didn't turn up and it wasn't, wasn't great fun. At what point, John, did you think, hang on a second, uh, this isn't going to be quite as, uh, as promising as I was expecting it to be? Oh, quite early on. Right. Um... I think we, we had like five and ten minute little spells throughout the game and that was almost like once we had about third one of those of the being the second half and nothing sort of came from it and then also it was Palace again they're, they're, they're one of their wingers Wilfred Zaha the bloke who's Man United signed you know everything was just they were attacking and you're going I can't see how we're going to score a goal um, so I, I think that's thing sometimes football fans do you sort of go yeah we're not going to win this no I'm, I'm, I'm starting to protect myself here so I'm not going to uh, think I'm going, we're going to win this and we could possibly win this because I think it'll just destroy me even further it, Was it one of your the fault of one of your mates? Who was the chap who, who there was a chap who turned, was going to go that shouldn't have been there wasn't there? Well, it was Jason but then Curtis I told you about Curtis from Denver yep. who Denver, never Colorado. lose yeah yep. Uh, and technically, he's never seen Watford lose within 90 minutes. Oh. Still, was the little thing. Yeah. But the way I see it, the way I see it, Ian, is that you know, uh, yes, we didn't get 120 million pounds, but what fans don't have to pay extraordinary, uh, extortionate prices for tickets to away games. We're not going to have thing where our, our kickoff is going to be at five o'clock and then at twelve yeah. o'clock and then on a Sunday and a yeah. Monday. We know it's, it's going to be fine. I and I had, you said you, you asked the Crystal Palace fans yeah. to, to come and gloat. At the tube station, just like, we, we stayed a little bit later and went to a bar near, near Wembley. As we came out, this young 14-year-old comes up to me and says, Yeovil, Yeovil. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to be playing Yeovil. I went, yeah, you're going to be made playing Manchester United and you're going to lose. We're going to beat Yeovil. Uh, <laughs> John, I, John um, I, I think I just heard one of those straws you're desperately clutching at fall to the floor there. <laughs> you bend down and pick up. The, the, the Mayor Dorothy Thornhill, you were there yesterday. I saw your, your tweets. W- what did you make of the whole uh, the whole event? Oh, it was um, it was awful, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. we never re- uh, it, it, the crowd were affected. It was just too nervous and tentative from the start. And um, for both teams, to be fair, and I and I agree with John there. I don't think there'd be any gloating from Palace. are not true fans um, in, in that sense. But it was just too nervous, too tentative for too long, and we never really looked like scoring. I mean, I went with my son, who is an absolute avid fan and a, a master tactician. You know, he was groaning at who was selected and who wasn't subbed and, and the formation we were playing. Um, but the bottom line is we just never looked like scoring a goal. They've achieved a lot this season, haven't they, Dorothy? Oh, to be honest, I mean, that's what we have to cling on to. Um, you know, 12 months ago, we were facing bankruptcy. You know, who was going to be owning us, the possibility of points deduction and everything like that. You know, we are now in the hands of decent owners, good management, um, and they're, they're with Watford for the long haul. And if you look at what they've done to their other clubs, um, you know, I think they will do us proud. Um, and we've got to remember, you know, this is a team that have come from nowhere um, and have taken us to Wembley. I still think, you know, you come third with several points, uh, you know, ahead and you have to go through the playoffs 
Um, that seems a bit unfair, but um, that is the system that we've got, and we've got to cling on to that. And, um, and you know, as a famous quote, tomorrow's another day and there's another season ahead of us. Can they, what are your predictions for next year, Dorothy? I guess it's too early to, to look forward, but they, they do have a strong team. Well, I think, the, as I say, the new owners were quite clear it was a two-year project. Um, that was in their mind, and in a sense, this, this was a bonus. I think for us fans watching week in, week out, um, you know, we could have had it earlier in the season. You know, it's, you know, it's been a roller coaster um, of a season for us. Um, but I think it is there, and I think they, you know, hopefully they will strengthen, strengthen the squad, um, and we can go on from here because it is a real prize to be had. John, is it, is it a strong enough team to succeed next year, or, or was this their chance and they blew it? Oh, no, we've got something to build on. That's a good thing. Um, there's, um, Mr. Zola has a, a nice core um, to sort of uh, to build on. He still needs more from it. We're not going to have one of the players, uh, uh, Nathaniel Chaloba, because he'll go back to Chelsea. Um, but, no, I think I, it, it's something to, be, to go on. I was talking to another uh, international morning yesterday, and he said, well, I said what, we saying, what was the best thing about this year? And he said, that there is another year. And there's a, there's a lot of football fans and many clubs out there who are constantly fearing that there might not be another season because their football club's going to go out of business. Mm. But we know we do. Uh, and we know it's going to be in the Championship. And we know it, there's, there's, yeah, this season has been far, far beyond our wildest dreams. John, and we can sort of go from there. John and Dorothy, stay there. Uh, Irene's in Milton Keynes. Irene, I believe you, you've called in to commiserate John and Dorothy for their loss. I, I do feel sorry for them, but I am pleased in other ways. Oh, why, why are you pleased, Irene? Because I do support Crystal Palace. I used to live there. And I do support the underdog sometimes because I do think that they don't have the money that a lot of the bigger teams do have. So when they do win, I, I think it's good to them. Oh, Irene, this is, this is awkward. We've, we've got John uh, Mooney does the, the, the Watford podcast and the mayor of Watford on the line and you're saying you're gra- glad Crystal Palace won. Well, I feel sorry for Gosh, them. She is. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I, I do feel sorry for them, but yep. they are a they are more a financial team. Crystal Palace do have to struggle. Okay. Well, Irene, listen. To I know that they're a good team. They have been to Wembley before. Okay, Irene, thank you very much. Uh, Mayor Dorothy, uh, what are you doing today to commiserate? Are you throwing yourself back into work to try and get over the defeat? (laughs) Absolutely, I'm afraid, Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, back to work on a miserable grey day. It's horrible, isn't it? Suits our mood, but Dorothy, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Nice to talk to you. Uh, And John, what what are you going to do to to commiserate today? Uh, I think I'm going to do some DIY, because I'm on half-term, because oh. I'm a teacher, so oh. it's going to be pretty productive. And then I've got a bit of podcast together as well at some point, okay, well, which see. will be quite hard. That's, that's, yeah. That's, oh, yeah, I might listen to it. Listen, <laughs> I'm completely impartial. I'm not a massive football fan, but I, do, I am enjoying um, daily waltzing in this morning, virtually doing a tap dance <laughs> as a Luton fan, and, um, and you're... I'm laughing at your tears, John. That's really inappropriate. I'm very sorry. I think I think I think John, thank you very much indeed. If you want to hear John's uh, podcast, it's from the Rookery End. You can get it on iTunes, unlike my podcast, which you can't get on iTunes because the BBC. What's wrong with you? There is a podcast of this show. If you want to listen to listen to it. Go to the uh, BBC podcast page. We'll put the link on Facebook and tweet it. You can, you can listen to it and download it from there. You can't find it on iTunes. If you go on iTunes and type in my name and, and BBC or, or Three Counties, it doesn't come up because the boffins at the BBC have yet... They've got to tick a computer box or something. 
John's just a bloke, right, who's doing DIY. His podcast is available on iTunes. I'm working for one of the biggest corporations in the world, and we can't get it right. Oh, naughty. I'll post the link on uh, the Facebook page uh, a little bit later on. Uh, Carleen Street on Facebook says, I was not there for the football yesterday, but I watched the footage. I have to say we were outplayed from the start. That seems to be the opinion, doesn't it? That's what John was saying. And Brian Anley says, the perfect result on a sunny bank holiday. Come on, your horns. I think that's a slight misphrasing of the uh, of what should be said. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. Were you there yesterday? And we will take calls from both both sides. I am impartial. If it, I tell you what, can we get this? Is what I want. Can we get a Crystal Palace fan and a Watford fan on the line at the same time? And I want the Crystal Palace fan to uh, uh, shake hands on air with the Watford fan and offer them commiserations, and the Watford fan say, well done, you deserved it. Can we get that? Can we make... If we can't get peace in the streets of Luton, can we not at least try and get peace between Watford and Crystal Palace? I want a Crystal Palace fan, and I want a Watford fan. Every weekday morning from nine. The JVS Show. With the biggest questions. Today on The Big Phone-In, I'm asking, would you support some dog breeds being removed from this country? Should traffic wardens be more lenient? Would the government be right to drop the minimum price for alcohol? And the biggest opinions. I think the tax is completely unfair. It doesn't matter how old they are or how young they are. They're still your children. It doesn't matter whether it's male or female or what. I'm disgusted with the people that... You should have cut them people off. The JVS Show. Weekdays from nine. On BBC Three Counties Radio. You should have cut them people off. I don't know what he's talking about there. Uh, But JVS is back um, after having a lovely day off yesterday and no doubt we'll be hearing about his barbecue that I'm guessing he probably had. 75% of people living along the route of HS2, the high-speed railway, who apply for compensation face being rejected. That's become clear from figures for those who've been successful so far along the route, which cuts through the Chilterns in Buckinghamshire. Well, Pamela Horlock from the village of Twyford in Bucks was turned down for compensation because she couldn't prove her exceptional hardship. Our reporter Simon Watts went to meet her. My name's Pam Harlock and I live in the village of Twyford in Buckinghamshire. I put my house on the market just before, um, the, in the late autumn of the year before HS2 was announced. And there was quite a bit of interest in the property. And then when HS2 was announced in the spring, that was it. There was hardly anybody wanted to come and look at it because they were afraid of the effect on the price and the value. Not surprisingly, people are going to be put off. Uh, For you, though, they left you in a, a very isolated position. Oh, absolutely. I'm a widow. And I had a a small mortgage that I needed to pay off and I couldn't sell my house. I was heating a big house, which I couldn't really afford to do. It's almost as if um, the government just didn't care. They were building this railway and tough if anybody gets in the way. You've gone through the process of trying to get compensation. It's been an unsuccessful process like it has been for many people. Mm. What's happened with you? Well, I applied for compensation. We sent all the details off and all the information off and had it back saying, first of all, I wasn't close enough. And secondly, this was done at the beginning of 2012. I explained that my mortgage would run out in 2013. You know, I'd have to pay my mortgage up in 2013. And they basically said to me, it's not 2013 yet. What were the options for you then? There weren't any. Mm. There, There was a happy ending afterwards but only through the fact that by pure luck by pure chance if you like you were able to do a house swap yes um my estate agent was very good on this he was uh, preparing to resubmit again 
for the second time, he came up with this scenario. He said, there is a house in the village, a three-bedroom semi, and I want you to come and have a look at it. Now, if you don't want to do a part exchange on it, please say so, and we'll put the application through again, and came and looked at it, and my son looked at it as well, and we decided to go ahead with it, so we managed to do a part exchange with uh, a young family in the village. So that's worked out well for you, but it's more, I guess, the principle of this, because had you not been helped out by people in the village, by your family, you'd still be stuck there now. Absolutely, and um, I just wouldn't be able to afford that. I wouldn't have been able to afford to heat the house this past winter, because I know a lot of people have had problems, and I wouldn't have been able to do it either. And I do have rheumatoid arthritis, which doesn't help. And um, I just bit a loop, you know, I just would be despairing, I think. There are many people as well in this situation where on a daily basis we're hearing of their compensation, their attempts to get compensation being turned down. Mm. Uh, how do you feel towards the government and towards the whole HS2 project? I, I feel about HS2 that the government have decided they're going to do it and they're going to ro- go roughshod over everybody and I almost feel it's a bit like a communist state. I'm sorry, you're going to have to move that. We're going to do it here whether you like it or not. And I always thought we lived in a democracy and they're just not listening to any of us. Well, on the line now is Helen German from HS2 Limited, who's the exceptional hardship scheme manager for the company. It's a communist state, Helen, and you're riding roughshod over people. What's your reaction to that? Hello, good morning, Ian. Hi. Um, well, the exceptional hardship scheme that the lady you've just been talking to applied to is is very much just an interim scheme at the first stage of the High Speed 2 project. We're not at the point yet where we can um, implement much wider-ranging um, and longer-term compensation schemes. The first thing I just want to explain is this is not it. This is just a very initial um, scheme that has been brought in in addition to what's legally required in this country. And most other infrastructure projects do not have something like this. So we're not by any means um, saying that this is the only compensation that will ever be on offer. But but people don't seem to know that, though. And if they don't know that, then, then surely there's a failure somewhere, isn't there? Well, the people who apply to the scheme do know that. It's made very, very clear in in the application form and in all of our communication with with those people. But I do understand that, um, you know, it it, it is difficult for people to get their head around. There's a lot of information out there about High Speed 2. There's a lot of media about High Speed 2. And it it, it can be confusing. But just just to be absolutely clear, for example, people who live very close to the line, whose properties will need to be um, compulsory purchased, for example, the future will receive full statutory compensation and they won't need to apply to to a, a discretionary scheme they'll receive what what they're entitled to under the law of this country so we're not doing things differently to other infrastructure projects we're in fact doing more than we would usually than, than the government would usually do but that doesn't that doesn't and i appreciate that what you're saying that you're doing more but the people who uh, believe they are entitled to this compensation specifically and aren't getting it that doesn't help them does it we're going to be speaking to a chap later on uh, who had a two-year battle to get compensation he applied for exceptional hardship it was rejected uh, over two years he spent fifty thousand pounds and then ultimately it was accepted mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a fair system is it the way that the scheme works is because we're spending taxpayers money buying people's properties that are not needed for the construction of the line as i said this is not about that people will compulsory purchase and um, the scheme has to rely on hard evidence 
of an urgent need to sell and that it's high speed too that's the reason why people can't sell we must be very very careful that people provide us with with good documentary evidence and the the scheme allows people to reapply and to respond to the reasons why they were not turned down the first time and if someone had to reapply and was eventually accepted that's right and that shows the scheme is working at the cost of fifty thousand pounds I can't comment on how, how much money he's spent on putting together his application, or, or, of course not. But uh, the scheme... But that would imply that the, the scheme isn't working if people are spending that much money. I, I don't really understand why, why it would cost that much. I'm sure... I'm, I'm not saying it's not true, but it, it doesn't cost any money to apply to the scheme. So w- let's just be clear that the, the, the evidence is required. And, and if it took a few times of application for him to be able to prove that, it shows the scheme is working because at the end of the day, it's your money and my money and taxpayers' money that is buying these properties and we wouldn't want to just be accepting every application um, regardless of the um, the reasons that people put forward. We spoke to Chris uh, earlier on and, and he said he was told he didn't have an urgent need but uh, uh, EHS rec- recognised he had a pressing need and he couldn't sell his house because of HS2 and yet he didn't get compensation. Well, I, mean, I, I, I don't know which case you're, you're talking about. Obviously. It's Chris Reynolds. Uh, and uh, he was told that uh, he had a pressing but not an urgent need. Uh, and uh, he had buyers pull out of, of buying his house when they discovered it was near HS2. OK, well, I, I really wouldn't be appropriate for me to comment on an individual case on air. The, the main thing is that the scheme is working. But it's not working for people like Chris, is it? It, it might not be working for that individual person so it's in terms not... of his application. However, we've had 113 people have been successful in the scheme. Out of how many applicants? We've, bought, we've, we've purchased, um, we've completed on 81 purchases to date. That's spending over £50 million worth of tax. Out of how many applications? It's... We've had over we've had four, over 450 individual applications, but some of those are repeat applications. So it's not not that number of households. But by its nature, it's an exceptional hardship scheme. It's there to deal with those people who are adversely affected at this stage of the project. So let's go through the how many applications do you have? 415, did you say? We've had over 450 applications. 450, and how how many of those have been successful? To date, um, 113 have been successful. It's not brilliant odds, is it? Those, there are there are 340 people who are, are feeling uh, as though they're not being listened to, and they are being ridden over roughshod. As I've said, a lot of those 450 might be reapplicated. Okay, let's say 350. Let's be generous and say 350 people, 350 families, are feeling that their their need is urgent, and it's not being recognised. What we have to remember is that for this very important piece of infrastructure, we accept that there are people adversely affected by it. This scheme is here, which is in addition to what's required by law in terms of compensation, and people can apply to it from anywhere. There is no geographical restriction that we have placed on the scheme for people to apply. We have to be very, very careful and apply some quite strict criteria to make sure that the houses that we're buying are are people in genuine situations of exceptional hardship with a genuine urgent need to sell because of high speed too there will inevitably people who be people who apply who do not get accepted we would never be expecting a, a very high percentage um acceptance rate under a scheme oh, such as this over 300 does seem a lot of rejections are you saying that they're all swinging the lead a little bit no, absolutely not. Not all people. And as I said, the, the reapplication process, taking an, into account why people are turned down the first time, it works and it shows that 
and a lot of people are actually accepted on their second application or even their third application. So, so the, the process does work. But as I said, with spending taxpayers' money, we have to make sure there is a, a, a good balance between what um, the houses that we're buying and versus the, the amount of money that we're spending. Because, you know, buying, buying someone's house, it's not a small amount of money, especially in this part of the country. And um, as, as, as a responsible government, um, Highsby 2 Limited and, and Department for Transport uh, are, are making very sure that we are, are, are not accepting people who can't prove that they're in exceptional hardship. I'm not saying that they're not, but they need to prove to us using you know, proper documentary evidence. And that's what a lot of the, I think a lot of the... Um, the issues um, based around, are based around that, that people have when they're, when they're maybe not successful the first time around. So it, it really is important that people prove, prove, provide the evidence to us. Helen and is ultimately, as I said, that this is, this is an interim scheme. People, people much closely, more closely affected by the scheme will receive the, the full statutory compensation um, going forward. Helen, we're running out of time. Final question. Is the exceptional hardship scheme fair? Well, it's my job to run it, and I think we're being as fair and as helpful to people as we possibly can be. Helen Gray, uh, German, sorry, Helen German from HS2 Limited. Thank you very much indeed. Well, do, do you think it's fair? Have you put in an application? Do you uh, agree with what Helen was saying? She's right. It's taxpayers' money. I don't mind my tax going uh, on sorting out poor families that are going to have a train line built right next to them, to be honest. I don't mind that. That's a good thing to spend money on, isn't it? Making people's lives a little bit better. What do you think? Do you agree with Helen that it, it, it sounds all fair and legit, or have you tried to make an application and struggled? Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots to talk about between now and eight o'clock. Uh, do give us a call, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We will be taking your calls on those now compilations. I, I'm sure only girls bought those. Boys wanted to um, get their hands on a 12-inch or the actual album. Girls wanted a compilation. I'm sure. <clears throat> give us your memories. And this morning we are trying to find, if we can't create peace on the streets of Luton, we're going to create peace on the airwaves. I want someone from Watford, a Watford fan and a Crystal Palace fan, to phone up <clears throat> and commiserate and congratulate each other. Hands across the airwaves. I think we can do that. We're going to have a little bit of peace. Now, supporters of the English Defence League marched through central London yesterday. Here with more of that is our political reporter, Paul Scoynes. Paul, what happened yesterday? Yes, you know, it was around a thousand demonstrators who were walking through the streets of London. Uh, they were chanting things like, Muslim killers off our streets, there's anyone Lee Rigby. And, of course, this was all because of uh, the, the sad and tragic death of the soldier killed in Woolwich last Wednesday. And um, they held placards reading, uh, blood on your hands, GBRIP. Um, they marched through Admiral Arch and onto Parliament Square uh, with the sort of aim of going towards Downing Street eventually and but a much smaller group of, of anti-fascist demonstrators also gathered opposite them and they were holding uh, sort of anti-EDL banners, EDL racist was one uh, both sides however traded insults and they were kept apart by a sizable police presence. I was going to say I would imagine that a lot of police would have been there. Yeah absolutely, I mean they were escorted by the police uh, Metropolitan Police in uh, officers vans, uh, there was a force helicopter hovering overhead as well uh, um, and uh, a Scotland Yard spokesman yesterday said that Whitehall was closed because of a number of demonstrations. The protesters, as I say, then made their way along Whitehall before taking up a position outside Downing Street, where, of course, 
David Cameron wasn't there because he was on holiday. He was on holiday in Ibiza. Uh, chillaxing, I believe, is the phrase that was in a lot of the papers this weekend. They were protesting, weren't they, about uh, the, the murder of the soldier last week who was reportedly wearing a Help for Heroes charity T-shirt. And Help for Heroes, I noticed, were on Twitter and a few other sites yesterday talking about the EDL. What were they saying? Well, they were very quick to say that they were refusing any donations from a, a page which had been set up by the uh, Luton-based leader of the English Defence League, Tommy Robinson, last week. Uh, in as a reaction to, to raise money for for help for heroes to raise it? money yes. for them absolutely and their reasoning was uh, that they would not uh, accept donations from any political party that was a blanket rule that the charity had they, they had they, they say it's not a uh, political organization it is a uh, an organization specifically to help soldiers and they do not want to get involved in politics of any kind be it from a, a sort of a, an organized political party if you like or a group such as the english defense league there's also been a political reaction, hasn't there? Yeah, that's right. Just speaking in the days after um, the uh, killing of Lee Rigby, where th- that day we'd seen protests in Woolwich from the English Defence League, where uh, around 100 protesters turned up and, and some hurled bottles at police. Um, David Blunkett had said that this was inevitable in the uh, light of the sort of graphic images and the uh, constant sort of coverage by the media of this killing and uh, it was doing nothing to calm feelings he said uh, or to ensure rational debate and said it would absolutely um, produce the sort of reaction we'd seen from the English Defence League he said that the climate today was worse in in the the wake of this than than the wake of the uh, 7-7 bombings in 2005 he said that we're living in a climate of very nasty and angry angry politics on issues like immigration and welfare and he said that we have to be very careful that this doesn't tip over into something more dangerous Um, and Back in March on this programme, Ian, um, mm. the Home Office Minister James Brokenshire said that uh, far re- right-wing extremism is a very worrying phenomenon. He condemned groups like the English Defence League for what he said were inflaming tensions within ethnic minorities. And if you look in some of the papers today, there's some uh, very sort of tragic pictures as well in the mail um, uh, on the early pages of, uh, of war memorials being On the front page dawned, of the Express, absolutely. yes. Yes, and, and, and also, but you know, as a counterpoint to that, there's lots of protesters uh, and, and supporters and, and people sort of paying respects to the, uh, uh, the, the flowers and, and um, the, the tributes uh, in Woolwich um, just after... You know, only a few days from all um, all religions praying and 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 showing you know uh, solidarity against any sort of extremism of, of any kind. So a, a real mix of of reactions in the papers today. So you can hear me shuffling the papers. The reason I'm mm. doing it is because I wanted to look at the picture of the protesters, uh, the mm. English Defence League uh, protesters. Not so much yesterday, although I can see uh, uh, two in this photograph. More in the, uh, the protest in Woolwich. Why do they hide their faces? If they are so uh, proud of the the, the views uh, that they hold and uh, they are defending this country... Why? Why do they hide their faces? Yes, there were some pictures in the uh, certainly in the the demonstration at Woolwich of, of English Defence League balaclavas and um, men wearing those uh, at the. At the There's rally. a couple here with the flag of St George covering their faces. Mm, yes, yes, that's a. Great See, not think if you're proud of your views, as these gentlemen obviously are, and several of them in in, in this are. They're, they're proud of their views and they are proud of this country, uh, and proud of what they are doing in defending this country for me. Although I didn't ask them to, it just seems odd that you would cover your face. I mean, we, we should add as well, I suppose, that the, the popularity of the, of the group's Facebook page has, has dramatically risen in the last week. It uh, was before the attacks had uh, t- uh, taken place on Wednesday. Um, 
was uh, around 20,000 likes, if you like, mm. and, uh, and, and that's risen, I think, to 130,000. I've been on there today. Uh, some of those people that are liking are there to argue with, mm. with the English Defence right. League. Can I just say, if you're arguing on the internet, you're already a loser. You can't win an argument no. on the internet. So there are some people there arguing, but there are some people d- displaying what I would describe as, as uh, quite extreme uh, racist views. A couple of the, 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 the comments I picked out at random. No, it's not saying that's the English Defence League saying that, but certainly some of the people who are liking that page are saying those things. Yeah, and um, we've seen it from all sides, haven't we? There have been some extreme views from, from, of course they have, from yes. various positions. I think it's interesting politically because the government uh, has talked about uh, prescribing certain ban- uh, groups, banning them um, uh, from from radical uh, Islamist groups to far right wing groups. Theresa May has been talking about uh, looking at uh, introducing new legislation that would would make these sorts of groups illegal and. You know, that, that is very controversial because mm. once you start going down that path then who draws the line it becomes very difficult to make that judgment and, and sometimes politicians wade in into those situations when perhaps they don't feel comfortable doing Do it you remember there was that bizarre situation in the 80s where uh, the ira mm. were allowed on television but they had to have their voices so you could see them saying what they were saying but their voices were dubbed by an actor stephen ray it turns out the, the famous actor would say what they were saying I yes. never quite got the point of that. Well, it, again, it, there was there was the decision of the government at the time that that uh, that the IRA couldn't have uh, uh, the, the sort of uh, a, a direct line to the audience, if you like. It was about mm. giving oxygen of publicity. I think was the phrase that was always being used. Um, but absolutely, and and that seemed to stop it after. I think it was in the run-up to the Good Friday Agreement, mm. wasn't it? I think yeah. when they stopped that, but. Clearly, I mean, you know, EDL would say they're not a terrorist organisation, but and 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 no evidence to show that, of course. Um, but other groups certainly who have been convicted, they are now able to speak, and we've seen that, you know, since it's it's uh, different times, perhaps. Paul Scoyne, thank you very much indeed. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you want to have your say about that or any of the things we're talking about, call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, can we do something that's a bit lighter, please? It's been a bit heavy. Yes, we can. The UK's biggest and longest-selling music compilation album is celebrating its 30th anniversary. I remember when they first came out. Oh, I remember when they first came out. Here are some of the tracks that uh, <laughs> oh dear, that were on the very first That's What I Call Music in 1983. <laughs> Tyler. 
So there we go. Some of the tracks that made the first That's What I Call Music 90, in 1983. Casey and the Sunshine Band. Excellent. Culture Club. Excellent. UB40. Oh, my. Weren't they awful? That bland white reggae. Just so bland. And then Ali Campbell left, so his brother joined them as the singer, and now they're all bankrupt. So there is some karmic justice in the world. I wouldn't want to wish it on anyone apart from UB40. Bonnie Tyler, uh, and uh, followed by Paul Scoynes. There. Some of the tracks from uh, Now That's What I Call Music in 1983. Do you do you still collect these? Do you, are they, are, I'm guessing they're still popular, these compilations. It's probably what? All um, Robbie Williams and Lana Del Rey. Yeah, that's right. I know a pop star, Lady Gaga. It's all those people on there, isn't it? I'd imagine. Can we find a gentleman... Um, who uh, who bought these these uh, cassettes or compact discs or music downloads now MP3s? Uh, can we find? I'm sure it's just girls that bought those things. Blokes were into albums and album tracks and and, and making their own compilations to try and impress girls. Do you remember doing that? Boys, making your own mixtapes for girls, and then if you were a little bit advanced like I was, you put in like little bits of comedy. Or like uh, demo versions, or like bootlegs that you had, you know, a little bit just to just to show you're a bit clever, a little bit artsy fartsy. What are your memories of the uh, now? That's what I call music compilations. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I'm sure it's just a girl thing. It, it must be because girls like girls like singles, boys like album cuts, deep cuts. Go play some deep cuts from the album, some B sides, some uh, rare demos, and some live tapes. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash bbc three cr, uh, or you can send me a text eight one three double three. Start your text three cr. There, the flipper travel. Excellent. So, thank you. Now that's what I call music. Is thirty years old. A, a girl's product, if ever there was one. No gentleman bought it. Stephen, in uh, Bedford, you never bought a now, did you? I did indeed. I mean, soldier, keep calling me a girl. Uh, Well, it would appear you're displaying all the attributes of of a lady. (laughs) Which one did you buy? Do you remember? Uh, First, second, third, fourth, I don't know, loads of them. Blimey. Did you buy it on cassette or vinyl? Uh, cassette, I think, because they were just easy to listen to in the car. Yeah, those 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 big chunky two pack c- cassettes, not two packers in the rap artist, two packs as in it contained two cassettes. What was the appeal of them, Stephen? You just had to just stick it on and then just listen to it, and you don't have to worry about keep changing things. And, and there was a variety, mind you. They always used to put on some good stuff. They used to put some real tat in the middle of it somewhere. That was the thing, wasn't it? They would they would uh, you'd get the hits, you'd be top and tail with the hits. But then th- there would be a load of old guff in the middle of it. Look, I'm trying to find now that I'm going to find the first album. That's what I call music. Let's try and find the artists on the first album, uh, and let's see. Um, uh, here we go. Right, let's find out who's on it. So, Phil Collins, you can't hurry, love, cracking song. Yeah. Duran Duran, is there something I should know? Not bad. That's okay. UB40, Red Red Wine, the, the, the standards dipping already by track three. <laughs> Limal, only for love. Oh dear me! Oh, Malcolm McLaren, Double Dutch. Well, that's not a bad. That was a, song, that was yeah, a good song. Like that. that was a good song. Men yeah. without hats, the safety dance. I haven't got a clue what that is. Um, Rocksteady Crew, that was good. Um, oh, this uh, new edition, Human League, Howard Jones. The first it's one gone. is not that it's bad. To the next CD, that's what it falls right down. But what, what on the second? Uh, on, on that's why I call music yeah. two. No, that, then there wasn't there oh. two CDs. And oh, there was, um, there was. There's two yeah. UB40 tracks on there, so that's no good. Will Powers, Kissing with Confidence. Do you remember that? 
Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, that was That's awful. Simple Minds, Waterfront, Madness, The Sun and the Rain, never even heard of that. Culture Club, Victims, never heard of that. Well, it was it, it was a mixed bag, wasn't it, Stephen? It certainly was. OK, listen, thank you very much. It's Stephen the Milkman in Bedford. He bought them. Um, the, 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 the um, yeah, what, what's, Will Powers, Kissing with Confidence, was an awful record. I couldn't even begin to sing it to you. If someone can, can phone up and either play... Uh, a bit of that down the phone, or sing Kissing with Confidence. It was kind of like an American transvestite sort of talking, wasn't it? Isn't that what that song was? And look, there are two UB40 songs on the very first Now That's What I Call Music. Hurrah for UB40. 08459 555 is the telephone number. Uh, if uh, you want to give me a call, you can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR or you can send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR. And we talk about the ease of listening these days. Don't forget, you can now download, kind of, uh, a podcast of this show. The first one went up last Friday. They're going to kind of go online sort of Friday afternoon, just after lunchtime, one, two, three o'clock, something like that. You can download it by going to the BBC podcast page. I'll post the link on Facebook and Twitter in a bit. You, you will be able to download it on iTunes. But until the boffins at the BBC literally flick a switch on a computer, um, you can't find it. it. It will be there, but you can't find it. Now, researchers say there's a lack of su- support for people who've been in intensive care and then return home. Almost 300 people were surveyed for the study in the Critical Care Journal. Many were found to be uh, still in pain or have problems walking months after they left. Well, Barry Williams was involved in the study. Morning, Barry. Good morning. 300 in the, uh, the sample. It's not a huge sample, is it? How reliable are these findings? Well, it's not huge. That's exactly right. Let me just explain. Uh, we're coming at it purely from the patients and relatives' point of view. Um, I represent patients and relatives to the Intensive Care Society. You're right, 300 is not a large sample. That's why we call it a preliminary study, exploratory study, and what we do need now is a more detailed study, a much larger number of patients and relatives, and possibly involving some other European countries, so we get a, a large number of patients, so we get some statistical significance. So what did you find, Barry? What, what, what uh, were the findings? Well, what it, 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 the study confirmed exactly what we patients and relatives have felt for some time based on our own experiences. Patients come out of intensive care physically very, very weak and psychologically um, uh, at risk as well. Um, These conditions are caused simply by the nature of the treatment in intensive care, um, which requires heavy sedation, often um, ventilator, and patients immobile for long periods of time. Um, This causes enormous wastage of the muscle, hence the physical weakness. The high level of sedation to keep patients um, unconscious, to allow treatments, quite distressing treatments to be carried out, um, will cause hallucinations later on as well. So there's a compounding of the problems there um, as a result of the treatment. But what we've got to remember is that intensive care medicine, the treatment of intensive care patients, has moved on very, very quickly over the last 10 to 15 years, and the advances made have been quite excellent. Um, when we think back something like 10, 15 years ago, uh, something like 60% of all patients going into intensive care would sadly die. Now that figure's less than 40%, so it's a huge, huge change. And the profile of patients has changed as well, much older profile um, than previously, so there's a, a very different consequence now of what's happening in intensive care and when patients come out. The, the, uh, what, is, what is the problem? Are, are we saying that there's not enough support for them when they leave and that needs to be improved? 
Yeah, this is exactly it. Patients should not stay in hospital longer than is necessary, and certainly with intensive care patients, the time comes when they are better off at home, although they are physically and psychologically very weak, because the home environment is the right environment for them to be cared for and recover. What is lacking is, uh, unfortunately, um, care in the community has just not kept pace with the advances in intensive care treatment. So there's a, a, a sort of a gap there now that it's lagging behind, um, and it's simple structural things that, that cause a problem. What What's needed is home physiotherapy, not hospital-based physiotherapy, not written instructions for a patient who's weak uh, and unable to do things to follow. It needs somebody there to help them mount the stairs. Back but there's, there's not the money, is there? As someone, my mum had uh, needed physiotherapy, and uh, she had to go to the hospital once, once a month, I think, was all they could afford to give her. There isn't the money, is there, for things like that? Well, it's the structural thing that needs looking at, um, and one's got to work out the, the economic benefits of, of uh, putting these treatments in place as opposed to not putting them in place. The consequences these reporters highlighted quite, quite clearly is that there's enormous financial loss on the families of patients who've been in intensive care and something like 80% of the patients are cared for by their families and something like 30% of those families, uh, one or more, lose their jobs during the course of caring for a relative, uh, patient. So the, the, the economic consequence is quite severe. We're just going back to the, the, the argument that there's not sufficient money to put in extra physiotherapy support. If we look at the whole picture of what's going on and what isn't happening, simple adjustments within that framework um, should bring about change that's required, and we don't think it's going to cost an enormous amount of money. And simple things like um, temporary disability parking permits would help enormously. They'd speed up recovery because patients could get out and about. Temporary home modifications, not massive home modifications, but simple things like allowing a patient to get in and out of the bath, go to the toilet unaided, help with the cooking, that sort of thing. Only temporary. You can't get these things now because the, the, the situation, the provisions don't allow it. Uh, acceptance that there may be a temporary carer's allowance, again, for a finite period. The system doesn't allow that at all. Barry, we have to end it there. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate your time. Hope you feel you uh, got your message across. It's Barry Williams there. 08459 555 555 if uh, you'd like to have your say on that. We're talking about the now. I, I don't believe this. We're talking about the now. That's what I call music compilations. And Paul Scoynes, political reporter and uh, 80s uh, chart buster, has sent me an eBay link for now. That's what I call music for on eBay. It's only got 18 chart-topping hits. The Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, Chumpa Wumpa, 911, 98 Degrees, is that a, a group? Hanson? Oh, I do like Hanson. I do. I think they're brilliant. Um, right, so that's why I call Music 4. Have a guess, have a guess what that's going for on eBay. It's had 45 bids. Have a guess. I, do you know what? I'll tell you after the news, because it's incredible. That's what I call music for. It's on eBay. 45 bids, so it's popular. I'll tell you what it's going for in a few minutes. A couple of texts. Christian of Luton texts about the EDL. We protect the right of the extremist Muslims to march and display racism, but it seems it's one rule for one, a different for the EDL. P.S. I'm not condoning in any way the vandalism. I don't know if it is a different rule for the EDL. Uh, Christian, um, they, they both seem to be allowed to, to go on the streets and, and say what they want to say, I think. Uh, and on the HS2, uh, David from Buckingham says, it makes me feel sick to think this government can compulsory buy any property. These are people's homes and they're being forced out. Money won't bring back the memories of their homes. Scrap the plan. Is it really worth it? I don't believe so. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Yeah? Yeah. OK. I can't believe this. What can't you believe? 
Now that's what I call music four. Yeah. Which had the Spice Girls on it. The Spice Girls on it. Was it that it. long ago? Uh, so there's, there's one here. That's why I call music four. It's had nine bids. This one's got six days on, okay? Six days to go. 150 quid. Yeah, that's fine. It's got six days to go. There's another one that's got six days to go. 155 quid. This is, now that's what I call music four. There's one. I can't believe this. It's got one day, three hours left. Have you seen how much it's going for? Yeah. £360. £360 to, to have boys to men, Michael Learns to Rock and Sheryl Crow all on one handy compact disc. Bit of a money-maker nostalgia, isn't it? I can't believe that. What idiot... And, and the person who's buying that is an idiot. I will burn them that CD for 50 quid. <laughs> and I'll draw them a picture of a pig. I think that might be illegal. Uh, but your pig won't really be just like the pig with shades on. Maybe it won't be too much of a, a cute copy. You might be all right. Carry on, yeah. <laughs> you might be all right, yeah. Carry on, yeah. Go on. Go on, Akid. I'll go to foot of our stairs. £360. £360? No. It's had 45 bids on it. There's a day to go. Uh, if you've got... Now, that's what I call Music 4 on CD, featuring Hanson, uh, All Saints, uh, and Aqua. Dr Jones, not Barbie Girl. You're sitting on a gold mine. Wowzers. That's shocked me into silence. Very rarely does that happen. I'm trying to think if I've got one at home, but of course I haven't, because only girls bought them. Right, lots coming up between now and JVS at nine o'clock, including... Disappointing day uh, for some yesterday. We'll be listening and speaking to Watford fans. I'm really keen to get a Watford fan and a Crystal Palace fan live on the radio together. If we can't create peace in Luton, and we've tried, and it, it would seem we're failing miserably, can we at least create some peace? I want a Crystal Palace fan to commiserate with a Watford fan and a Watford fan to say, well done, mate, you deserved it. 75% of people living along the route of the HS2 who apply for comp compensation face being rejected. Are you one of them? And we'll be taking your calls on those now. That's what I call music compilations. 30 years old. Turns out four is worth 360 quid. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Text 81333, start your text 3CR. Or the best way to get in touch, of course, is to give me a phone call. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. There is controversy raging about this now for... It is called now for, but yet now that's what I call music... Four. But uh, um, someone has texted in, the Now Four album can't be right. I remember having Now Five, and it had all 80 songs on it. All I remember about it is that it had a pig in sunglasses. Well, we've, we've, we've stumbled on something here. No one's quite sure what's going on. 08459 
Four double five, five double five. On to uh, slightly more serious issues. Police say the key to finding out who killed a 20-year-old man in Luton lies with the community. They're helping. Uh, they're appealing, sorry, for help in tracing three people in relation to the stabbing which happened in Thrales Close late on Sunday night. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been in Marsh Farm. Morning, Justin. What's the latest? Well, officers were, were called to a property in Thrales Close in Marsh Farm at around 8.15 on Sunday after they received reports that somebody had been stabbed. Uh, the firearms unit attended the property where the victim was found with serious injuries. He was rushed to the L&D hospital but was pronounced dead shortly afterwards. Now, as you say there, Ian, the police say the key it is local people here, the local community coming forward with information this is DCI Steve Collin. He's from the Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire Major Crimes Unit. So I'm looking for a group of three people uh, that were caught on CCTV in the Thrales Close Pearly Centre area of Marsh Farm on Sunday. They are a black male on a bike, a black male with a dog on a lead and significantly a younger girl probably a teenager, white female teenager, with long dyed hair, which is in a ponytail. Um, and uh, you've been talking to people this morning, haven't you, Justin? What have they been saying? I have. People are concerned. I mean, we heard from one youngster earlier when I, when I put the question to him. Uh, do you think people will come forward? He said, well, well, people don't want to be seen as a grass. So as far as he was concerned, people wouldn't come forward. And he was with his friends just around the corner from this incident. The town, of course, on Sunday on a high from Carnival. Uh, Carnival passed off peacefully. It was a fantastic event. But people are concerned. I have been talking to locals this morning, and this is what they've had to say. Needless to say, it's a tragedy, and uh, it would be lovely if, you know, peace could be restored. Marsh Farm's got a bad name and a bad reputation, particularly because of recent events, and we're just hoping that, you know, things can calm down, so... And that people who live within the community and the surrounding area don't feel threatened by, you know, recent events and what's been happening. Madam, you went to school with the person who was stabbed over the weekend. Um, What was he like when he was at school? Um, he was a nice guy. Didn't really know him that well, but knew of him. You must be shocked then. Yeah, it's more worrying, because obviously the kid's growing up in Marsh Farm and stuff, you don't want him seeing that kind of thing, but... So, do you think people are going to come forward with information? That's what the police want. They're looking for witnesses. Somebody's been stabbed to death. Are people going to come forward, or will they be too scared? I think they'll probably be too scared to come forward at this point. The police have to get back into contact with the communities and the people that live in those communities and start being on, like, working together to get it sorted, because otherwise they're not going to get anything done at all. I think this, and I think the violence will carry on as well at this point in time, until, the, until they get it. I mean, having the armed, like, Northern Ireland in, in Luton is crazy. I mean, the, the amount of weapons and heavy machine guns that the police have got walking around, that's like, it's like Belfast. It shouldn't be like that in Luton. shouldn't at all. Well, madam, as somebody who lives in Marsh Farm, know the area incredibly well, what's your reaction to the fact that, that somebody was stabbed to death there over the weekend? That's really terrible. It's very, very terrible. And I'm sad that that is really happening in our area at the moment. Um, I'm sorry about that. Can Marsh Farm recover? Yes, I think so. I think so. I think it can recover from the situation it is right now. Well, Justin Dilly, thank you very much uh, indeed. More sad news in Luton. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Jez is in Iwick. Good morning, Jez. Morning. Are you a fan of the Now That's What I Call Music? Yes. Oh. I, uh, I have, I've got all of them. What? Every, every single one. Really? Yes. Why? 
I don't know, just a, collect- just a collectible thing. I just uh, like collecting music. It's just something that I started, and I just thought I might as well carry on. But it's uh, not really music on there, is it? Not now. I have to say, now they're a bit naff. There's a lot of rubbish on there. There's still the occasional good track, but I just came to the conclusion that I've started, so I'll finish, like Mastermind, I suppose. Well, it, it turns out they're <laughs> worth a few quid. Yeah, I know they are. Um, I actually bid for them on eBay, the early ones that I didn't have, the ones that sort of fill in the gaps, that sort of like two, threes, and fours. I, I bid for them and paid quite a lot of money for them. How much, what's the, the most you've paid for a now compilation? I think I paid about 70 quid for one. Oh, mate. <laughs> just, just, I'm, right, listen, I'm not in any way condoning uh, illegal burning of music or anything like that, but just no. make your own, mate. Make, print the cover off with a colour printer, you can get them anywhere, <laughs> and just make, burn your own CD. I think the reason why I did it was because I used to do DJing, I don't know, but I used to, do hosp- I used to DJ ho- hospital radio and I used to be a mobile DJ, and the reason why I started collecting them was because then I had all the up-to-date chart music. That was my reason behind it. And obviously you've got to prove you bought the originals, so that's probably why I, used to, I started buying them in the first place, you know. Yeah. Um, that's why I kept it going, if you like. There is controversy yeah. over this now, that's what I call music for. Yeah, I can, t- I can, I can clarify that. Please, it's, it's, it's going for 360 quid on, on eBay. We've had several people saying, well, calm down, mate. The, uh, it didn't have the Spice Girls on, it had um, Lionel Richie. No. Um, let's get this straight. Basically, the situation... Will you not shut up? That's why it's my bird. I'll out the room. Oh, God, for goodness <laughs> sakes. Can't you... No, I was going to say something horrible then. <laughs> Throttle them. No, don't do that. I've got 43 of them. Um, uh, it would take a while, wouldn't yeah. it? Um, right, anyway, basically, the situation with that is, I know what you, you're t- coming from, I think EMI produced the original Now, that's what I call music compilation. Yeah. And there's another company, I can't, I don't know who, what record label it is, but much later started producing the Now, that's what I call music. Shut those birds up, Jez! <laughs> Seriously, you're doing my nutting! <laughs> Goodness, so how can you live with that row going on all the time? You get used to it. Are they indoors? Yeah. Do you let them fly freely? Yes. What? All of them? Yes. Oh, no! Not all, not all at the same time. It would oh. be absolute bedlam if I did that. They'll be like, how do you get them back in their cage? Oh, a lot of them go back in on their own. What kind of birds are they? Budgies. Why would you have 43 budgies? Well, I breed them. Oh. Uh, and, so, and I sort of, I've rehomed quite a few. I, I've got like, I've got a lot of ex-show budgies that I've rehomed and uh, people, unwanted pets and things, and I, and I, and I breed them as well. Is so, it true, if you put food dye on the egg, they come out that colour? There is, if you, in, you could, there, there is a, there is a, a practice yes. uh, where they, they have something called rainbow chicks. They only do it with chickens, I think. Oh. But they, they, there is some... It's highly illegal, obviously. No, they, of course, no, don't do it. The, but how do you do You it? can inject the egg oh. with, with something, and it actually, when the chicks come out, they come out that colour. The feathers oh. are that colour. Isn't that yeah. cute? It's a shame that's illegal. It's highly illegal. But anyway, it's so go on. This yeah. is this is. Yeah. Yeah, don't do it, kids. But if you do, no, send don't me a picture. At home. But don't do it. Nice colours as they are. So hang on. But yeah. so this now, th- I've I've had someone else get in touch saying that yeah. this specific three hundred and sixty pounds. Now that's what I call music for. Is from Asia. Well, that's interesting. Yes, it's, and it, do, it does say Malaysia on the back. Mm. So there's an implication there. You've not got that one, have you, Jez? Which one's that? You've not got this one, have you? The, the Asian one, have you? The Asian four? No, it's you... probably Bangor or something, I don't know. No, it's not. It's, it's the Spice Girls and Hanson. <laughs> and I've seen two yeah, of those groups, both of those groups in the, concerts. That's not the original Now 4. This no. is the other one that they produced much, started producing much later. Yes. Um, see, this is where this is where it's all got very confusing because now four certainly didn't have any oh. of that stuff on it. This is this is like we're talking about late nineties here. Oh my goodness! So what yeah. what was on now four? Oh my god! Um, it was sort of I'm trying to think that was about eighty five ish, wasn't it? Stuff like your, bird, your birds are actually driving me insane. China, China crisis and um, madness and all that sort of stuff. Mm. It was just sort of Howard Jones sort of eighties stuff. I, yes. I, I'll have to look it all up because okay. it's been so long since I've. Have you got them all on a shelf in order? 
yes, I have. Yes. No, not unfortunately, Jess. You are a gentleman, and that's what we do as gentlemen. I'm going to let you and your birds go, because, to be honest, they really were doing my nutting. How could you live like that? I don't want to cast aspersions on Jez, but I suspect he's a lunatic. No, I, and I, I mean that from a, from a loving place, but I really suspect he needs help. He's got all of the now that's what I call music CDs and 43 birds that roam freely around his house. Imagine cleaning up all of that poop. I don't own a single now album, but what I do have is on cassette from 1985, now that's what I call music, the Christmas tape, and oh. it comes out every year. On cassette? Cassette. Good for yes. you, Adam. I'm a big fan of cassettes. I think they were so, been sorely neglected in historical purposes. So, well done, you. Thank you very much. Adam Glynn's a puppy. Oh, I left my <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thanks very much. By the way, Jonathan, you're on, love. Well, I've just been told, I've been informed by my production team, that Jonathan Vernon-Smith doesn't want to come down and do his daily trail. Now, we normally do about 16, 17 minutes past. I was kind of staggering things there to give him a couple of minutes. He was obviously late. No, no, he wants to come down after half past and do it. Well, maybe I don't want him to come down and do it after half past. It's my, look, it's my show. I don't tell, I don't say to Jonathan, I think you should do the consumer hour at 10 because it's easier for me to listen. I don't say that. Yet he's dictating where and when things happen in my show. I see. Right. I, th- I think a call to Cobra needs to be made to, uh, no, not Cobra, Ofcom. No, not Ofcom. My agent. That's it. Yes. Now, only 25 people living uh, along the route of HS2 have been approved for compensation so far. That's become clear, 25%, I believe, that's become clear from figures for those who've been successful so far along the route, which cuts through the Chilterns in Buckinghamshire. Ian Telford is a partner at John Nash and Company Estate Agents in Amersham. He says the HS2 project has caused major problems for his business. In those where the properties are located near, near the HS2 site, yes, they are, or where there are escape routes or at the end of where the tunnel is actually going to come out. Have you had cases of of clients who simply cannot sell at the moment? Yes, without doubt. Uh, One particular client at Hyde End, who I believe has now received their compensation, but we actually had no viewings whatsoever. It must be difficult. Obviously, the housing market has been a difficult few years anyway, but as the the market is picking up now, but for people in this area, uh, they're stuck, really. Uh, HS2 has always been a great concern, and uh, certainly we will inform anybody who's going to be buying near the site that it will be affected. It's mainly due to the, the construction, because obviously the location we are here in Amersham, most of it is underground, but it's during the construction that's going to be the disruption through the building. What kind of reaction do you normally get from people if you have a house that's on the HS2 kind of route? I guess they will immediately say we're not interested anymore. Not interested and we don't want to view it, especially this particular house which is only 120 metres from the actual track. What does it mean to your business here? Has it had an impact on you? At the present time it hasn't really affected us. I think as it becomes more real and things will start to uh, come to the come to the fore and maybe we will see the, the general reaction but at the moment it's not an issue because obviously uh, people who are affected personally are, are looking for compensation if they can get it or trying to sell and just get away from it but as a business that could be directly affected by it too would you ever consider seeking compensation yes very much so but unfortunately a lot of people have uh, not received the conversation they won't do but um We'll have to see what happens. We have been exploring with certain clients, yes, and some of them have received compensation. But these are clients that are further out, say from Great Missenden and beyond, 
where unfortunately the track will be above ground. Well, that was estate agent Ian uh, Telford, who works at John Nash and Company Estate Agents in Amersham. Joined now by John McDowan and Alison Hussein, who've both been after compensation. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. John, we'll start with you if that's okay. Tell me your story. What's happened? Well, we sold our property um, in uh, February 2010. And where was this? We received an offer. It's Stoke Mandeville. Stoke Mandeville, thank you. We received an offer which we accepted. Uh, Three weeks after that, uh, HS2 was announced, and of course, as we were only 75 yards from the track, our sale fell through immediately. And our estate agent tried hard, but our property became unsaleable. We applied for compensation in the March of that year, and were refused on the grounds that um, whilst uh, we, we met four of the five criteria that they laid down about having had our house on the market for a year, uh, being in the right location, uh, being affected by the, the proposed development. But they said that uh, whilst they accepted we were suffering financially, uh, because obviously we were having to pay a mortgage that we shouldn't be paying and all the running costs, we weren't suffering sufficiently to warrant compensation. You weren't suffering sufficiently? That's the wording, exactly the wording in the document. Did, did they say w- what you would have to do to suffer sufficiently? <clears throat> no, I, uh, I subsequently reapplied, because you had to wait three months between applications, and I phoned them and asked them what they needed from me to, uh, to make the case, and they refused to give me any information, saying it was entirely up to me. My second application was refused on the grounds of uh, lack of proof of financial hardship. Um, they, uh, they decided that I wasn't suffering sufficiently financially again, uh, so we subsequently applied again three months after that. Uh, I got David Liddington, our, our local MP, involved, who was very helpful. He wrote supporting my case. Uh, my, my, I was uh, retired early because my business had failed as a result of the recession, and I failed to get further employment, so financially we were up against it. Um, we then uh, applied again, and uh, they decided every time they refused us, they refused us on a slightly different technicality, mm. but always, always on the financial hardships side. And uh, they refused us again. Um, they said that uh, they thought we had an ISA in place to repay our mortgage, which we didn't. And we had. they said, well, prove it. <laughs> I said, well, I can prove what I own, but I can't prove what I haven't got. Yes. Anyway, we, we, this went on for just over two years. And the final application, I, 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 I was getting quite uh, demanding with my MP and saying that if I didn't get something done this time, I would demand to see David Cameron and sit in front of him and look him in the eye and ask him why he was ruining my, my life and my retirement because our funds were, were dwindling quite fast. In the two and a bit years that we, we had to retain the house, it cost us over £50,000 in mortgage and maintenance costs that we should have been without because, mm. of course, we were living just on a, on a small pension. Um, and the, David Linden had a meeting with the Secretary of State for Transport and my case was discussed. Uh, my final application was backed up with affidavits. I had to swear affidavits with solicitors for, about my financial status. And this was basically, I, I did everything. I date of birth, inside leg measurement, everything possible, because they were saying they wouldn't give you the information list they required. They were, I had numerous conversations with them trying to get them to help me, and they refused completely. They clearly did everything they could not to pay compensation. But however, in September 2012, our application was successful. Our fourth application, the, my financial circumstances between the first application two and a, nearly two and a half years before and my final application had not changed except that I was £50,000 worse off 
Um, nothing else had changed. It's just that by being persistent and keep on applying and refusing to take no for an answer, we were finally successful. What a stressful two years that must have been. And you're now living in in Cumbria and you're you're happy and you're you're settled and you're enjoying your retirement, I hope. Yeah, slightly poorer than I'd like to have been. Yes. yes, John, well, John, stay stay there because your your story may provide some uh, hope and inspiration for Alison. Alison, you're you're struggling to get compensation for your property in Great Missenden, is that correct? That's correct, yes. What's your story? Well, our story is um, probably... Three years ago, it starts three years ago when the line was first announced. Uh, we were just about to go up for sale because a similar thing. Um, my husband's business had taken a bit of a bashing. Um, so we felt, well, we really do need to sell our house. We need to recoup, start again. Um, and then the line was announced. So we had to postpone because we thought, well, let's wait and see. Um, you know, it may be something might happen. It may not happen, etc. Um, probably about six months later, it became clear we really did we needed to put the house up for sale. We needed to try, uh, see what might happen. So we did. Uh, we put it up at a price to sell. So we were quite sort of smart from the beginning. We thought we won't overprice. Yep. The estate agent said he's a good price to sell. And we had to pay uh, an estate agent to actually market it because nobody would take it on. Oh. In the early days when they would turn up and say, oh, um, you know, lovely property, this is what we price it if things were different. Um, so we had, you know, we had a struggle just to get somebody to market it in the first place. Because they knew it was a waste of time. It, well, it wasn't going to sell. Yes, they said it was a waste of time. We were at that point, we were about 75 metres from the line. Um, so we incredibly close. There's no sort of trees in between. So it's it's very, yeah, it's there, basically. Um, so uh, we did that. We waited um, for the three months. We marketed for three months, in fact, a little bit more. We did the application. We thought we did everything we needed, submitted every single thing, our life story, our bank statements, the whole lot. Um, a very similar story to the other caller in that came back um, and they actually said, you're not showing sufficient hardship. You basically weren't, we weren't desperate enough. We weren't showing enough desperation. Um, we thought, well, we have no money. Um, you know, one of us, only one of us is working. The property's it's just too expensive for us now. We've got two young children, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that was that. So we had the letter. Um, you know, we couldn't believe it. We, we priced it to sell. Um, so we've been, you know, we thought... Right, You've not been greedy? Not at all, no, no because we, um, we'd, it's, it's, it's a barn conversion, so it's a tricky one anyway, in that it, it could be priced at a number of sort of, yeah. well, so we were quite smart and thought we'd keep it low, but, you know, that wasn't good enough. Um, and as I say, we had hardly any viewings. So we then, um, we then left it. My husband then um, got a job, which was really good news. So we were sort of out of the woods um, for a brief period of time. And then it became clear that we still, because we'd got debt from before, it was just carrying on, really. Um, so we put it up for sale again. This was probably about a year ago. Um, had a few viewings. We always get viewings because I think because it's a barn conversion, people are just interested. Yep. Also, they don't know how far, mm. where will the line be. But once you point it out, it's clear. It's very visible from where from our property. Um, three months went by, all ready to resubmit again. But um, we managed to actually rent it out because we thought if we rent, that kind of puts off the inevitability, really. So we got a, a rental, um, which was supposed to be for a year, but unfortunately they moved out within the year. So we were then saddled with a house we were renting in, plus the house we were renting out. We're, we're, we're running out of time, but, w- but yeah. where are you now, Alison? Where we are now, we are, um, we're ready to resubmit for the second time. We've been told that we really need to give um, letters from the bank, from um, just provide as much information to say how it's not just the financial side, it's the actual... Um, the, te- the tell on the family, really, on the family life. You know, we have no money. 
Um, we, we, we really do need to sell this. It's hugely stressful. It's just, you know, it's just been horrible. Um, and now we, we're in debt significantly more it's than we were to start selling, with. Selling a house in normal circumstances yeah. is horrible and stressful. It's, Having yeah. all of this on as well. We spoke to Helen German uh, from HS2 Limited. She's the exceptional hardship mm-hmm. scheme manager for the company. She says, uh, Alison, that the scheme is fair. Well, I have to say, I, I, I don't agree because um, anybody is supposed to be able to fill the form out. Um, but we, what you don't know is what you actually have to put in it to, to make your to make it um, hold tight. I mean, we were told we weren't financially hard up enough. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what they're expecting. Do, do they want us to be out on the street? Because uh, that, you know, that could be the next thing. John, do you think that that uh, the, the scheme is fair? No, not at all. It's, it's bias against compensation deliberately so make it very difficult because they're so airy-fairy in their refusals uh, and they can they can angle it in different ways uh, it's not fair at all and i think that the only thing i can uh, advise your other call Alison, is to get your mp involved write to everybody get an affidavit sworn by a solicitor about your financial status that they can't argue with because basically you supply information and they doubt it they 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 say well you're not telling the truth so if you swear an affidavit that's a serious document, and it's very unlikely that they'll disbelieve we have that. To believe, we, have, we have to end it there. John, listen, congratulations. I'm glad you're, you're enjoying your retirement uh, in Cumbria. And Alison, I, I wish you the very best of luck. Selling a house at normal times is an awful, awful situation. To have this hanging over you as well for a couple of years. And Alison, if it's OK, uh, we'd we'll, like to keep in touch and um, just, just see how this pans out. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. I might as well just go home now, and you can start now. Why? <laughs> that wasn't even the computer, you. That was that was the real. <laughs> that I am, was me. I am building up a computer JVS. Uh, are you? Yeah. So far, I've got this. Why? And um, uh, uh, go and do it together. Three, two, one. Why? Why? Do it in harmony. One. <laughs> I'll do one. I'll do one. Why? <laughs> I'm gonna have a com- I'm gonna have a robot JVS. I'm so sorry I'm late. What on earth is going? We, we had some on. problems upstairs. Printers, you name it. It was all going. Why? Wrong. Never mind. I'm here now. Thanks <laughs> exactly. for having me. It's a pleasure. And then you sent me a message saying, "Oh, do you not really want me to come down?" Well, I, I thought I rant. heard you ranting and raving well, on air. I thought, I'm oh, furious. My. Well, I'm so sorry. I'm furious. This is no way to respect a timetable. I have a, I have a drawn clock, and each section is, is filled, and you are in at 16 past so eight. And... is everything going to go wrong now in this section of your <laughs> clock? Well, of, of course it is. We've got to speak to, to Watford fan and a Palace fan. They're all oh, queued up, and right. it, they're going to be pushed back, and then you... I'm so sorry. Shall I crack on? Well, could you just apologise a little bit more? I'm, I'm really, really sorry. Do it without laughing. <laughs> That's a laugh. That's a laugh. I'm not very good at grovelling. Okay, so no, not grovel, just a sincere apology. I'm very sorry. Without the smirk or the red face. Oh, you can't do that. You've got I, sunburn. I can't help the red face. I spent yesterday yeah. sitting in a garden yeah. with lashings of Pinot all day long, and uh, consequently, I am now Mr. Tomato Face. Did you not put any cream on your face? No, well, I didn't realise it was so strong. Oh, look at you. You are just a a hospital case waiting to happen. I'm like Mr. Blobby. Hang on a second. 
that doesn't help. Right, what's ca- <laughs> I was trying to play something to calm Why the mood. You always, you always play that dreadful noise. <laughs> what do. is that noise? Is that Paul Scoyne? It's Paul Scoyne's playing I'm a Believer on uh, a musical instrument. So okay. What's on your show this morning? Coming up on the big phone in this morning from nine, are the EDL good or bad for this country? Yesterday, more than a thousand members of the Bedfordshire-based English Defence League took to the streets of London to protest against radical Islam. They gathered at the entrance of Downing Street, where they listened to their leadership blame the Muslim religion for the horrific killing of drummer Lee Rigby. Well, they held placards reading Blood on Your Hands and GBRIP. They chanted Muslim killers off our streets. On the day of that horrific killing, a similar protest had ended in some protesters throwing bottles at the police. Former Home Secretary David Blunkett has said we're living in a very nasty time with angry politics coming to the fore. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views. Are the EDL good or bad for this country? Perhaps the uh, the way that they have demonstrated since the terrible killing in Woolwich last week you feel has been incredibly unhelpful for this country. Perhaps you believe it is going to divide this country massively. And actually, if the EDL really care about this country, what they should do is shut up. Your views from nine. Are the EDL good or bad from this country? For this country, we'll discuss it on the big phone in at nine. What I don't understand is if they are defending England for me, uh, although I've not asked them to do such a thing, and they believe so strongly and are so passionate in what they're doing, why do so many of them cover their faces? If I believed strongly in, in something I was protesting in, or a political movement, or, or, or a way of thought, I would b- be proud to display my face and associate that with the message. Uh, very good point. Mm. If I get to speak to the English Defence League after nine, I'll put that very question to them. Tommy Robinson's not answering his phone, is he? No, no, he's not. OK, JVS, thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. BBC Three Counties Radio, here every weekday between six and nine o'clock. There's also a podcast. You can't find it on iTunes yet. Hopefully today. Hopefully today. But we'll post the link to the uh, BBC podcast page. Now, the richest game in football has ended in disappointment for some. For Watford... Watford lost 1-0 to Crystal Palace in the playoff final at Wembley yesterday afternoon. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been dancing around like a merry little leprechaun and getting reaction. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. How are you feeling? Very well, thank you. Yes. Let's not be unprofessional about no. this, uh, oh. being a Luton Town supporter. You are really <laughs> good at doing this impartiality. Yet inside, <laughs> you, you virtually tap-danced into the studio, the, the uh, office today. You were like Sammy Davis Jr. on no, those feet. I, I just had a nice weekend in Brighton. Um, that's what that was about. But, uh, no, can I just... Sorry, I've got to just say... <laughs> Right. So just to go off on a tangent, Dealey walks in, dancing and singing and stuff, mm, mm. and he, he did make some um, some rather rude comments about Watford, but then he said, do you know what, do you know what, girls, I've just spent, <laughs> I, had a, I had a cracking bank holiday, I went to yeah. uh, an, 80s, an 80s disco yeah. in Brighton, I walked in, they were playing the Nat Marcheron, I thought, yes, this is the place for me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and more to come on music, before nine, before nine, oh, no. but uh, no, for years I've been yes. ripped about being a Luton, uh, Luton supporter by uh, Watford fans, but... Um, it was slightly dangerous for me yesterday because I was actually talking to, to Watford supporters in Hemel and somebody said to me, you're that Justin Dealey, aren't you? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, you live in Hemel, don't you? Yes, I do. I'm thinking, please don't say you support Luton. I'm surrounded by Watford supporters. But I was talking to fans as they arrived back in Hertfordshire last night. Clearly, they weren't happy. This is what they had to say. Guide. Absolutely guide, really. Um, disappointed. Um to be honest, the way we played today, uh, we, we didn't turn up. We didn't turn up. Um, we could have played a lot better than that. Yeah, and I think a lot of Watford fans would be absolutely gutted at the moment. No, not happy at all, really. But 
There we go, that's football for you, isn't it? Yeah. And um, just lastly, the script, was it almost written in advance for Kevin Phillips? It's always the way, isn't it? It doesn't matter. With Watford, it happens all the time. Um, what I'm going to say, it doesn't matter. We always say, if an ex-Watford player comes back, plays against you, he's going to score. And sure enough, Kevin Phillips scored. A fair play to him. He didn't celebrate. And I don't know if you watched him turn away. Yeah. He ran away and kept his hands down. So, yeah, fair play to him. He's a great player. He still is, you know. Not a lot we can do about that really now. But uh, look forward to the championship next season, I suppose, now. Disappointed. Yeah. Disappointed. Very disappointed. That's a poor game for Watford, to be quite honest with you. Pretty cheesed off because we never even turned up today. How's that? I just thought Palace turned up, done the job. And they were a good side. They were the better team, mm. and they done the job. But unlucky to Watford. They said to go, but Palace deserved to win. So well, I was a bit, I'm a bit gutted. I thought I thought we would score. I thought we'd score. But the longer it went on, yeah. I, the more I felt Phillips would get get his nose in there. We got worries, don't we? we got the loan signings. Where they're going to go? Vidra is he going to stay? Mm. We've got the transfer embargo as well we're not quite sure where we are now it's a bit of a concern for all of us really <laughs> yeah, I'm chuckling Justin what are you laughing at because in that report yeah <laughs> in, that, <laughs> in that report I can hear you doing your mock sincerity yeah yeah, mm, yeah. Oh, yeah you, you must be de- devastated yeah hey, tell listen, me about it I kept it professional at all times yes that's the thing when you work in local radio and you live in the area these things are going to come up from time to time but but they had a massive opportunity yesterday and I think that, that all Watford supporters will look back on that in years to time years to come and think why didn't we do that because Palace going into that game they weren't on great form at all um, their striker Glenn Murray he was out injured Watford had a massive chance yesterday and for whatever reason their players and they've got some fantastic players just didn't turn up and perform on the day. Well, Justin, go and, go and sit in your, your little radio buggy or whatever it's called, turn your radio up loud and listen to this because what you're about to hear now is the best of humanity. We've had the worst of humanity over the last week or so. We're about to hear the best of humanity. I wanted a Watford fan, I wanted a Palace fan to come on the air. It's like bringing Israel and, and, and Palestine together. I wanted to come on air and metaphorically shake hands. I think that's going to happen. Representing Watford, Pete Finchin. Uh, good morning, Pete. Good morning. And representing Palace, we've got Leslie Palmer. Good morning, Leslie. Morning. Now, oh, but you, you can tell which one's which by the tone of their voice. Now, Pete, let's start with you. How are you feeling after yesterday, mate? You're right. Feeling grateful we don't have to go to Hyde, Tamworth, Southport, Gateshead, Lincoln, Nuneaton, then Salisbury, Cambridge, Alfreton next season for a start. Yeah, so grateful you're not playing all those big teams. That's you must be. Absolutely. Um, sit in your car, little man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, sorry. How how are you feeling, Leslie? Um, happy. I'm. I don't think it's really entirely sunk in yet because, to be honest, uh, I'm not sure a lot of Palace fans, after our bad run into the final, thought we were actually going to do it. But yeah. as you say, on the day, we just performed. Now, listen, there's, there's been, been a lot of tension uh, in, in Luton across the country recently, and I just thought, can we do something? Can we, can we bring peace to the area? So, Leslie, as a Crystal Palace fan, is there anything you'd like to say to Watford fan Pete? Yeah, uh, hard luck. And, um, yeah, Watford and Palace aren't teams that are that dissimilar. We have to take our breaks when we get them, and yours will probably come soon. Now, Pete, as a, as a Watford fan, is there anything you'd like to say to Palace fan Leslie? 
Yeah, I mean, Leslie knows the score. She's been up there uh, before. She'll probably have a, a, a pretty mediocre season, which will ultimately end in probable relegation. Oh, I mean, no, please! Listen, have a great time. And, and look, let's be honest, like you deserved it yesterday. We were pretty poor. Um, and, and also, we had enough chances over the season not to be in the playoffs when we were 2-0 up at home to yourselves um, and came out to 2 all. Actually, Kevin Phillips, um, when he was playing for Blackpool, because he's also a loney, um, when he scored the goal that got them back in the game up at Bloomfield no. earlier in the season at 2-0. So, I mean, Palace, good no, luck to you. Pete, you know, Pete, from- no, 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 I'm not, no, Pete, I'm not having this. Leslie, <laughs> Leslie, I apologise. This that's, is not what okay. I planned. He can, he's allowed to be bitter. No, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Good luck. Genuinely. I, I don't want to go to Barnsley. I'd rather be in your position. I'm not bitter. You deserved it yesterday. I think we cocked up our season at the end and it was a real shame. But Palace, have fun. I mean, have a great time. But it's only going to last a year. Is that what you're saying, Pete? Yeah, of course. Over, over the over the forty six games, we were better than Palace. We finished third, but that wasn't good enough. Over to get the game that the game that mattered, Leslie. I apologise. <laughs> I think that he's, as I say, I, he's feeling a bit um, emotional. I can tell. <laughs> well, listen, you've both been very, very good sports, Leslie. I suggest you've been a slightly better sport than Pete. Pete did. Pete did. You know, offer the kind of hand of friendship. Then he pulled it back, stuck his thumb to his nose, and waggled his fingers, didn't he? That's what he did. He got a few digs at, at Justin Dilly, so that makes it all worthwhile, though. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Man up above, yeah, 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 that's what I'm talking about. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. If you want to give us a call, the UK's biggest and longest-selling music compilation album is celebrating its 30th anniversary. We've sent Justin Dealey out on the streets to talk to people. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. Should we play some of the tracks that made uh, That's What I Call Music the very first one famous? Oh, please. Would love to get your opinions on some of these bad boys. Come on. What do you reckon, Dealey? Casey and the Sunshine Band, yep, love it. Love it. Everybody wants your love. Everybody wants your love. Oh, Culture Club. You come and go. Oh, you be 40. You're not going to sing? Or just I'm gonna waiting for you to <laughs> sing. You were singing along very, very nicely. Well, yeah. there's, there's some of the classics there, mm. although I, I literally, I cannot stand UB40. I would rather have my ears pulled out. Yeah, only on the spice. biggest selling reggae band in the world. Yeah, but yeah. awful. awful. Yeah. Does the, listen, Kokomo was the biggest selling single the Beach Boys ever had. Doesn't, make mm-hmm. it's a, doesn't mean it's a good song. Now, the, wasn't that the longest time span between a number one? You are very good, 27 years. Yes. Yeah, well done. You're at good mm-hmm. vibrations. And, cocktail, and, then, yeah. and, that, yeah, and that from Kokomo. Well done. Now, you've been speaking to people uh, about the Now tapes they had. Was it, I, I'm guessing it was mainly girls that bought these things. No, I, I love them. I have to say, uh, I grew well, up on these y- albums. Y- y- again, <laughs> I'm guessing it's mainly girls that bought these things. Do you know what? Lamar uh, appears on the very first Now album twice. Yeah. Uh, once with Kajagoogoo, but his face is not actually on uh, the album with Kajagoogoo, because he'd left the band by then. And uh, once as a solo artist as well. I've always kind of based my appearance on Lamar. I was uh, down the 
the pub the other week. I was outside having a cigarette. There I was, all dressed up nice and smart. Had my uh, lovely suit jacket on, low-cut T-shirt, oh, so showing off some bronze chest. Oh. And there was two thugs outside, yeah. and they started singing too shy at me. <laughs> it all got very embarrassing. And there was a girl with them, and she said, Please, you two, just shut up. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Stop picking on Limar. I was bullied. I was bullied. But yeah. for me, yes. um, the Now albums went downhill at Now 29, because you used to get them in a big chunky case. Yeah. The big chunky did. CDs. And then they went to the Slim CD oh, and reduced the price. You really have no life at all, do but, you? But um, you've been saying this morning that women bought these albums Correct. and that real men didn't buy them. Um, I've been in Luton this morning getting people's memories of their very first Now CD, and this is what people had to say. Leslie, what's your memories of buying your first ever Now album? My first memories of my Now, first ever Now album was probably Woolies. Yeah. And it was probably that, this is so cool, these are original artists. <laughs> all on the same vinyl, for a good price. Yeah. So you've got fond memories then? I have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you still buy them now? Not quite so often. Can I ask why? Oh, I suppose it's all down to your iPhone and everything now, mm. isn't it? Although you can still buy them on there. Yeah. And it's probably due to not being all my taste in music now. John, you're a massive music fan, so you must have every single Now album, surely. Funnily enough, I've never bought one. Why? Rubbish. What do you mean, Absolute rubbish? Absolute rubbish. Uh, probably one or two decent hit records and all the rest were non-entity records that nobody ever, you know, nobody ever buy. See, Ian's got want... this theory that, that, that men like yourself will go out and buy real albums and women, they would be the ones buying the compilation albums. Would you go along with that? Yeah. I bought, I bought you know, things like Stevie Wonder and lots of Motown, Temptations, Four Tops, those sort of albums, but compilations. So no regrets about not having one single Now album Funny in your enough, collection? no. no. <laughs> well, let's put this theory to the test. Here we have Fiona and Jason. Couple, are you married? We've got ten kids. You've got ten kids? Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Been a busy boy, haven't you? Just a bit, yeah. yeah okay, so let's talk now, now albums. The Now CDs. <laughs> the Now CDs. So, are you a big fan of the Now CDs? Yes, I am. Yeah? Yeah, now, I am. Now, you had a half here. Would yeah. he go and buy them? No, he'd want me to buy them, but he'd want to listen to them. What, because of the shame? Because he's a big fan of the Spice Girls. Is this true? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it's all getting very embarrassing. So, what you're saying is that, that you would go and buy them because you enjoy them, but your yeah. partner wouldn't buy them because he would feel embarrassed about doing yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go, you see, Justin. It pretty much proves my point, doesn't it? Yeah, I have to say. Uh, how long have we been working together for now? Too About long. a year or so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think um, I'm actually going to write this down in my diary because uh, I think that's the first time in all of those uh, those hours, those yeah. weeks, those months that have been yeah. working together that yeah. um, you've actually been right. Oh, 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 you're fired. I can do that. You're fired. Lovely. Simple as that. Stay on the line. Ricky's in Dunstable. Morning, Ricky. Good morning. Do you, do just, you I'm fine, thank you. Do, you. do you back my decision to uh, fire Justin Dealey? No, no, he's all he is. He's what? He's okay. Thanks. He's okay. Who's your Who's your favourite person on Three Counties Radio, Ricky? <laughs> well, the audio because it's, it's a good, it's a good, good for, for the first thing in the morning till till seven o'clock at night. Ian wants an ego massage. <laughs> <laughs> if I could understand what Ricky was saying, then I would get one. Now, Ricky, I'm teasing yeah. you. Being a good sport, you've got lots of now compilations, haven't you? Yeah, on the tapes. You got the cassettes. Yep. I've got one to well, one to when they, they stopped doing them. Right. So you've... I've got you've, more than a box up in the loft. You, I just wonder what they're worth now. 
Well, what we, we Justin? Um, what are they worth? Well, in actual fact, um, I found out last night one of my now CDs is worth about five hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be on eBay later on. Um, if you've got the original vinyl, obviously it depends on it Stop depends it. on um, the condition of the album. But if you've got yes. if you've got the early ones on CD, yep. they're the ones that are worth the money. But Ricky's like, Ricky, yeah. you've got them on cassette because you stopped buying them when they're on CD. Is that correct? Well, no, I, I bought one CD as well, oh. you know, I mean, I, all the ones on the tape was to buy around the boot sale, but about five or seven years ago, now one cost, was costing about five or seven hundred pounds. Oh. What is costing now, I don't know. Ricky, you're a girl. No, I'm a bloke. <laughs> no, you're a girl, because only girls buy now compilations. Blokes go and buy proper albums. Oh, OK, then. They like, we like the deep album cuts, don't we? Yeah, I, I, I could never buy now, but they're too expensive to buy now. What's the best, uh, the best now compilation, Ricky? What's, what's the best one? Well, I, think the, I think the ones in the 90s and that, sort of yeah. like the better ones. Yeah. Now, the, the music nowadays is oh, nah, not that good, is it? It's, it's rubbish nowadays. What, what yeah, is it? Right. Who is this Lady Gaga and Lana Del Rey? What, what's all yeah. that about? Well, I don't know. A lot of old guff. Ricky... Oh, that, that, all right, the time, time messages. Huh? All right, the time machine day, I think. Ricky, you've been a good sport. I appreciate your call this morning. Thank okay. you very much. There we go. Ricky, you see, Ricky has got, has got, um, he's got lots of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have. I mean, uh, my dad has got every single one. <laughs> he's got every single one. And there, there is a good reason behind that. No, there because there is no good no, reason there behind is, it, there, Justin. There is, there is a reason. And the reason being that he worked for Virgin. Oh, and of course, the Now albums were on Virgin Records. And we watched the documentary last night. And um, yes. the people that he used to work with were on that documentary. So he nicked them? Um, yes. So your, 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 your dad has got them because he's a thief? Yes. Okay, well, then that, that's, uh, that's fair enough. All right, Justin. Well, listen, uh, thanks very much for calling. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Ta-ta. Bye. There we go. I have words with him later on. It's the attitude. The reporting is adequate. Is adequate for you know what he does. It's the attitude is the problem with uh, with JD, and then that is what needs to be uh, be brought back under control. Uh, listen, I've been mentioning the podcast. I will mention it a bit more if you don't mind. <clears throat> Uh, it's a kind of a weekly best of of the show. We don't call it the best of. It's just called Ian Lee. You'll be able to find it on iTunes at some point. Uh, hopefully today. I'm going to g- give those boffins a real kick up the backside and uh, and get them to kick. I won't. I'll send an email saying, could you do this for me, please? Uh, but if you go to the BBC podcast page, the link of which I will post on the Facebook page very, very soon, you can get it there. It was the first one last week. It's gonna, We're going to release it every Friday. And also, if you've got a story that you think we should be doing, um, then give me an email, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk, I-A-I-N dot L-double-E at bbc.co.uk. We've had a few stories recently that have come from you, the listener. So if you think, uh, you know, it can be something huge that affects your whole county or your town or your street, or it can be something that just affects you. If you think it's important, then do send me an email. And we've, we've actually, I've got a couple of emails I must get back to today uh, from people who've been in touch. Ian.Lee at bbc.co.uk. Back tomorrow at six. JVS is up next. Ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.